0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Directors Club podcast. I am Patrick Rapole. Jim is not with us, but Daniel Kibblesmith is with us. Now, you may know him as what? What is your title at Groupon?
1: At Groupon, Uh, technically, I'm a humor editor. So there's no way that anybody knows me. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) um, But I'm I'm one of the people who writes uh, writes jokes uh, for the for the cats. The cat at the bottom of the deals. Okay. And uh oh, I should get used to saying that i have a I have a book coming out. oh, you do yeah, that I should I should start plugging, but is it it a is it
0: you're a cartoonist? Is it a cartoon? Is it a comic?
1: No, no, I wish i don't think i I don't think my cartooning shops are good enough to to publish uh, except if it's me stapling something together. yeah, yeah. no, I have a humor book coming out with another Groupon writer, uh, Sam Weiner, uh, who is also a really funny comedian in Los Angeles. Uh, he's with the sketch group sat on vacation.
0: Okay, I'm I'm not I've not heard of them, but
1: no, they're great. What's uh, the uh,
0: what's the book? The book is
1: uh the book is sort of a fake uh instruction manual to life called How to Win at Everything, and it comes out if you're listening to this in late 2013, <laughs> run out to the stores and buy it because as it is uh we are just halfway through our manuscript.
0: Yeah. No, but that's still exciting. And yeah, then,
1: I should really uh, not be talking about it at all because things could easily fall through, right. but I want to get in the habit of actually telling people to buy the thing that I made instead of, like, being quietly ashamed of, of
0: creating things. Yeah. Well, I mean, in addition to, uh, you know, being a, a – <laughs> I was going to use the term humorous, but I'm not sure no, if anyone – No, let's do it. Yeah, okay. Do, if you, I do don't... you see yourself as, like, a Dave Barry type? Oh, absolutely a Dave Barry type. I think yeah. that's that's
1: easily the best comparison. Because, first of all, um, we're all going to turn 40. Right. This is a universal human experience. I've got to take out the garbage and right. deal with my adorable Have you ever twins. noticed
0: that you can never get a group of people to sing Happy Birthday in key? It's, oh, know, it's, it's,
1: it's impossible. Am I right, people who still read <laughs> newspapers?
0: Oh, man. Um, Mike uh, Nelson from Mystery Sense Theater now does Dave Barry-style books. and it's Yeah, kind I've of read like... a
1: couple of those. Uh, they're sort of like kitchen sink observations yeah. on life like why are screws so small i lose them sometimes
0: <laughs> yeah. where do they go where They're they are having screw parties <laughs> like yeah yeah uh, and i'm like oh that's kind of like I, 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 mystery science theater was big for me. So. There's a,
1: yeah, it was huge for me as well. And there's a fairly limited. When you said humorist, I was like, oh no, because that's good because it means I have a job that I can like explain to people at yeah. parties. But it's also bad because it's like, well, I'll never like have anything <laughs> of value ever. <laughs> like, do you, do you locked into this this like quiet observations about you know my mother in law?
0: Oh uh, well, uh, do you do you think? Uh, what what do you think? Like. there's like a lot of uh, um, sort of baggage that if you were, say, at a party and you told someone that you you were a humorist, like – I was trying to think because my friend Russ is a poet – and I th- and I was I've always thought that is the absolute like he's not professionally a poet, but that is like what he spends most of his time. That's on.
1: pretty. That's pretty bad too. I would wager that being a humorist is worse because if I was at a cocktail party and a guy came up to me and said I was he said he was a poet, I would just dismiss him immediately. <laughs> I'd just be like, oh, you're you're like a fake person. Like you you are still in high school. Russ,
0: he does. I mean, uh, uh, Russ is a listener. I do want to say. He's, I think he's I know this, Russ. Okay, uh, and
1: I, I believe Russ when he says he's a poet. No, he, he he's runs a a, poet. he runs
0: a literary magazine and everything. Right. But it, if someone came up to you and
1: said no, they were yeah, a no, poet... No, absolutely. It's you, a
0: horrible... There's, it's, it's just a horrible word with a lot of baggage.
1: But if someone came up to you and said you were a humorist, then I think the person would have this expectation that you were then going to be Oscar Wilde for the whole party. Oh, yeah. And that's way worse, because <laughs> no one ever asks for free poetry... <laughs> But it, you say, like, I'm a funny man, I make the jokes, then it's like everybody yeah, wants not you to since do it like, on the spot. Not
0: since, like, 1873 had, like, a group of people clap their hands and gone, poem, poem, poem. poem. poem.
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's because we have YouTube.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the reason you're here uh, is actually because you are also a comic book nerd.
1: I'm a big comic book nerd, yeah. I, um, you know, grew up with this stuff. And I actually, I grew up in the 90s when comic books were sort of at their uh, highest point of saturation and lowest point of, like, overall quality. Right. And I think that's an objective thing. I don't think anybody would call me out on that. But um, because my dad was a comic book nerd, what ended up happening was I grew up with... Uh, his uh, Silver Age superhero comics. Oh, nice. And then kind of segued into like the sort of indie stuff that he was buying like around the time I was born and then finally started buying my own comics you know, wait, 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 in the in, drugstore.
0: Indie-like Hellboy or indie like Daniel Klaus?
1: Um, more indie like Hellboy. Like he wasn't he wasn't super savvy about the sort of like black and white, you know, like love and rockets, or, right? Right. Know, like he might have had a couple issues of like Cerberus like floating around mm-hmm. things that were more likely to get like shuffled in with the superhero titles. But what ended up happening was I, without realizing I was doing it, I got this sort of broader chronological education about uh, the medium, you right. know, and the audience and like the the style, so I I started, you know, in the '60s, and then it was the '90s. Uh, so I just kind of like filled in all of those gaps. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, that's a that that's a handy thing. It, um, it timed out really nice. Did yeah. it uh, Did it help you? Because one of the the sort of barriers of entry. Um, I used to I used to buy Detective Comics when they when they rebooted it, but then I I got I like stopped three issues in because I realized it wasn't worth the. Uh, the $3 when you said me.
1: rebooted, I I had to restrain myself from saying which time, uh, and it wasn't like sarcastic. I was just like, oh, which which uh, uh, the most, you, the, most you get re- on? Re- the most recent
0: one where they just changed all DC. Oh, just now. Yeah, just now. But I, I or whenever you're listening to this. But yeah, the main barrier of entry for me has always been just the complicated mythology. Was that was, was would you, like you mentioned that you sort of got an idea of the of evolution of style and stuff, but did you also get sort of a grasp of like.
1: Right within the titles that within the titles that my dad bought, yeah. Um, so, I would know like more about some things than other things. Like I would know more about like early '60s Flash and like mid '70s Avengers. You could just see where like you could tell like when he had a job versus like <laughs> just the, there'd be this uptick of like oh like I guess he was doing alright for himself. He could throw away you know you know 40 cents a week and yeah. then a dollar 50 a week and then you know eight dollars a week
0: that's funny um all right so uh the and the, and the reason I, I wanted you on other other than uh, your your good friend and i enjoy talking to you is that uh the avengers just came out and, Avengers just came out and i and i was sort of watch and i you know i watched it sort of out of Duty. I don't watch a lot of tent poles out of duty, but this seemed like more interesting than the new Transformers movie or something like that. So I did. I went back and I watched all the Marvel movies, and which you know did not instill me with a lot of uh, confidence for the Avengers, just because their quality was so uh, varying. You know, it's but, inconsistent. Yeah, yeah, it's very inconsistent. Uh, but. Uh, The Avengers I really loved And actually it it felt to me like A culmination of Superhero movies from Like you know 70 I think 8 when Superman came out To like now where uh, There's been This weird sort of um, Like tonal thing Where like in the 70s You could be earnest about something Um, So like when Superman Came out it was super earnest and Christopher Reeves was super dorky and not in a oh look how dorky he is haha ha. like i mean they did they played a little just because they're you know playing how weak he is compared to superman but like that movie is very much about goodness and about the american way and you know stuff like that and but you know uh but and for a while that was the only Game in town was they'd, they'd make Superman sequels,
1: right? Which is odd because that didn't end up setting the tone. They bucked that almost immediately.
0: Yeah, um, the, I actually I have a list here of American-made uh, superhero films. Before there was, um, the... Sh- should I do this? Should I do the thing where I just rattle off if I've seen it? Yeah, not? yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Before there was the, uh, um, the original, the very first theatrical American superhero movie. It was a. Uh, Superman cereal that got like it basically they shot it the same way they'd shoot a cereal but they played it all at once oh no kidding and yeah I was, should
1: come clean about not having the patience to sit through any oh, of the no, it's, pre-1960 I,
0: I always, I'm always confused like people who love you know like Indiana Jones and stuff they always talk about oh it captures the tone of 40 cereals perfectly <laughs> and I'm like how many 40 serials do you watch I'm not saying you're wrong I'm just saying like go go back
1: and check out one of those they're <laughs> they're kind of horrible it's just 8 minutes of punching a Chinese dock worker <laughs> This nightmare version of America. And
0: what's kind of the opposite uh, of of how it's done now is it was superman versus the mole men um, <laughs>
1: i i feel that probably anyone who's put on tights or a cape has battled some version of mole men <laughs> they just they just can't catch a break
0: what's funny to me is see i'm a i'm a i'm a hip hop fan and there's a very famous uh, chicago production team called mole men oh no kidding and that's that's all i ever think so i just i think of them you know battling uh, uh, you know the minds behind some of uh, twista's better as albums oh, man, that is
1: not that is not fair <laughs> Superman would just come in and start like wrecking their equipment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Just he could just use X-ray vision and like just looking would kind of warp the. It's very it's very well timed. But um, it's high end machinery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but what what they did uh, for that was kind of the opposite of what they would do now. Is they actually they released the movie because they wanted to see if a television show would be viable. So this oh, is with yeah. this is with George Reeves, and it ended up. Uh, you know leading to the television show and then later they would they just release the movie in the television show divided in half
1: i haven't seen a lot of george reeve superman but i have seen clips of him making his uh entrance yeah where he comes in on the he comes in on the the chin-up bar he does this little swing uh right before he hits the doorway okay. so it always it always looks like he's flying into wherever he is and it's awesome and it's iconic But sometimes he's just, like, in an apartment. So it means that he was in the hallway, like he got off the elevator,
0: (laughs) flew down the hall to
1: the door, and then landed. So they could have that
0: iconic Superman entrance every time. That's funny. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those serials. Um, After that, uh, it wasn't until, like, about ten years later, they did the Adam West Batman um, I've seen a lot of that. I think we've all seen a lot of Adam West Batman. Yeah, I I think... I I think that's kind of a great um, it's kind of a great series because it's it's like great when you're a little kid and then when you're like 13 you're like no this is the dumbest thing ever and then when you're like 20 you're like oh no this is camp this is right. like, this is a comedy show sort of like a reverse bell curve yeah exactly um, and I so I've, I've actually like really plus there's always just like Vincent Price or
1: right right. You'll be watching it. Do you remember Don Rickles will just like be there? Right yeah, the he'll side. pop out of a window. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember who played Mr. Freeze. Um,
0: I don't. Uh, but um, it was
1: it was just some awesome like heavy from like a bunch of character films. He was like a gangster guy. Oh, uh, his okay. name's on the tip of my tongue.
0: Is it Edward G. Robinson?
1: It is not Edward G.
0: Robinson. Look <laughs> look it up, readers.
1: Yeah, readers
0: yeah. of this podcast. Um, and then after that, there was 12 years, and they did Superman, which I which I like. Um, Twelve years. That's so crazy. Yeah, it really, like, I mean... It speaks a, it to the way se- the
1: technology is what y- really no, absolutely. ends up facilitating and these. And that's kind
0: of what I want to, like, because the thing about Superman is it's, it's like, it's very earnest, and it gets the tone, I think. I mean, I'm not super familiar with the Superman comics, but it feels, like, the tone feels right, like, um,
1: it definitely speaks to, like, and the comics aren't really what's driving Superman at that point. Like, the Superman comics leading up to that era are these crazy stories of him, like, you know, using super ventriloquism and, like, building, oh, that's... building robots <laughs> even as, to even solve robots. Even, even as late
0: as 78?
1: I mean, up to 78, I guess it'd be more in that sort of, like... Jack Kirby, like, New Gods era might have okay. been defining it. I'm more a Marvel guy than a DC guy, so uh, people listening to this will have to forgive me. Well, oversights. What I what I do want to say real quick is that I agree with you that the tone is incredibly earnest, but what it's not earnest about uh, is the source material. Oh, no. Like, it's, and that's the thing, it's like the Superman comics at the time weren't really the best blueprint anyway, but uh, it's incredibly earnest about truth, justice, and the American way. But it's still incredibly winky about it being a Superman movie. Oh, is it? I feel that it is. I mean, there's a lot of like...
0: I mean, and it has been a while. But uh, what I recall is that the first two Superman movies are more or less played straight... And it, was, it wasn't until, like, the third one that it became campy. You
1: gotta see Superman 2 again. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's this sort of controversy regarding it being taken out of Richard Donner's hands. <laughs> and I guess, I haven't seen his cuts, but I guess it's more like the first one where it's like, no, we really like this thing. We want to we do it, you know, earnestly. And then the second one, and I'm also judging the first one maybe a little too harshly because the second one is so silly, but the second one has, like... This like fifteen minute long slapstick sequence where all the evil Kryptonians are using their super breath to like knock over Times Square. Oh, really? Yeah, it it and definitely it's played for slapstick. Absolutely. I don't really yeah, I don't recall but, that. Movie yeah, very well. it's really like it's really funny. Superman two, you can like watch it go from Superman one to Superman three.
0: Oh, I even see.
1: kind of through the course of the film. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> like it's paced out in such a way that it gets sillier near the end.
0: Well, Superman. I mean, I'm i'm kind of infamously a uh, superman uh three fan uh to the point where I have been banned from message boards for defending it as yes, well you should be <laughs> No, That's it's crazy it's, i mean it's a comedy i it is like it's you know it's it's by uh oh, shit uh hard day's night Richard Lester yeah, and you know like he and it has these visual gags that I think are are, are like genuinely funny and like i mean i you know comedy Robert Wagner is a bad guy in that. I don't
1: recall. Just walking around being...
0: Yeah, like, he's, he's sort of, he's sort of more ineffectual. He's just, like, you know, waving his fist. But, like, I think Richard Pryor is genuinely, like, funny in it. Yeah. Um, he does this thing. I think it actually does have, like, a story that is about the character, which is, you know, like... Uh, you know, it's and it's not. It's not played seriously, but it is like it has some kind of meat on it. It's not just like super people punching each other. Right. Right. Um,
1: I ideally though, isn't that what it should be? <laughs> like, as we well, no, sure, sort of and evolved towards the Avengers. This is, and this is what I'm Avengers. talking about because this is
0: sort of this is why I, the, I think the I think the Avengers is sort of the culmination. Is these original Superman movies? I love what I love is the tone. I love Christopher Reeve's performance, but like, there's no way that it can be exciting like it just it has it has like I'm sure it was exciting then but it has not aged to the point like if you watch those movies now you're not watching them to get the thrills right Um, right
1: a lot of Superman 2 is like watching a play it's like you can see that Star Wars was a success like they put him in this in this ice fortress and he goes on a little uh date with Lois Lane and there's a lot of just him standing around on these sets wearing the superman <laughs> costume and it's yeah it's this weird like star wars budget with sort of like off-broadway blocking yeah it just it takes forever
0: yeah well i mean and then so i mean i just i like superman 3 cuz it is a comedy um and that's and that's i think like sort of the it's not it's not the same tone as the Adam West uh it, i mean it's not it's not that silly um it's not that dedicated to jokes but like i think a lot of people are like oh this movie is dumb and then they list jokes like it's almost to me like if someone's like the worst disaster movie i ever saw airplane like right. like you couldn't take it seriously at all
1: right yeah there's always that there's always that sort of like director's intent problem whenever you're trying to judge something as as a comedy or not a comedy and a lot of people who maybe you know, uh, haven't seen it or don't remember it, will kind of accuse you of trying to excuse it. Yeah, I mean, if you put Richard Pryor in the lead, then yes, it probably is a comedy. But that ends up being like, when the first Superman movie tried to be so earnest about just, you know, their whole thing was, you will believe a man can fly. Right, exactly. And believe ended up being the thing that they discarded almost immediately, where it was like, Adam West's Batman was huge, Superman movie was huge but let's make Superman and subsequently Batman again more like the Adam West Batman movie and then that ends up being the default approach to adapting these things right. for you know decades I'm not
0: and then you know i, I I Superman four like I I think super, Superman three is like it's it's childishly funny like for a thirteen year old but Superman four feels like uh like it's for six year olds oh, like the whole plot of it is like this little like fourth grader writes an essay yeah <laughs> I like,
1: barely remember Superman nah, it's, four and it's
0: it's super. and they they limited the budget and yeah they got gene hackman back but you know it's not being used if
1: i recall superman 4 the antagonist is uh like a nuclear clone of superman who shuts down if you put him in a dark room like he literally stops moving if he's not in direct sunlight which i think is spectacular because (laughs) superman superman probably has access to like a sheet,
0: yeah, you know, like
1: <laughs> like he could he could put you know crush him with a boulder or put yeah. him under the ground, but mostly, he wouldn't even have to work that hard. He would just I, get some hotel drapes. I mostly
0: recall them just grappling, which is unfortunate. Like, because, yeah, like, there's not a lot of again the the special effects would not allow them to have them zooming around, you know, Avenger style, and so like it's mostly just them flying and baring their teeth and sort of holding each other's shoulders yeah that's sort of sort of moving back and forth I would like
1: to uh, I'll separately from this I'm going to go see like the height of popularity of WWF in the 80s and compare it to the timeline of Superman films no that makes sense they're like oh we need this long haired blonde tan guy and he and Superman are going to wrestle yeah and, uh, and there's the weird uh... and Superman's gonna throw all the nuclear
0: weapons into the sun. Mm-hmm. that happens in that movie <laughs> <laughs> so and but it so that was 87 and then of course 89 was Batman, which is when the real uh, not I wouldn't say the it was for sort of the first wave of superhero movies started.
1: yeah, it kicks up. You can kind of see the tone shifting and like these two ideas are kind of duking it out, even within the Batman franchise. Yeah, and I mean
0: it's it's so it's so heavily sort of stylized and it's sort of very much, you know, Gotham City opens with this like amazing sort of matte painting where it looks like a castle. Like all like the skyline just looks like some kind of weird fortress and you know and it's and it's like the 80s because there's like neon lights and like hookers everywhere but at the same time like everyone's wearing hats and coats and it's kind of noirish and like it's i I feel like superman definitely tried to exist in the 70s in the like it tried to exist in the current world
1: oh yeah absolutely i think that was i think that was very conscious was this idea that like we need him now more than ever right
0: yeah um but batman was sort of like you know you know that's what Tim Burton does so well is sort of establishing his own, you know, aesthetic in his own world.
1: Yeah. I think by virtue of being the work of an auteur, it was able to sidestep a lot of the baggage Yeah, and kind of just make this like lateral move uh, into his own sort of fantasy land so that they could get if not like a clean slate from all that stuff, it could just be like this self-contained universe.
0: And what, and you know, and Batman's sort of an ideal uh, superhero for that time because again, the special effects weren't so great that you could, you know, you could have giant, you know, lasers and fighting and stuff without it looking really, really bad. But. You know, Batman, so much of what he does is just detective and stuff. And so much of him is just sitting down in front of computers or looking through files as Bruce Wayne or something like... Yeah, I never thought about
1: that before. Because,
0: I mean, there's there's the the big museum scene. He just sort of crashes, um, grapples out, and then there's the one fight in the alley. Um, and that fight, like, a lot of people, you know, will, will point out, like, the whole Batman suit f- for the whole first, first uh, four uh from batman eighty nine to uh Batman and Robin like he can't move his head right so there there are <laughs> right. times where someone like there's times where he's fighting like people on the ground, and then there are, like he'll be on the ground, and I think he just crashed the bat plane, and then Joker's in a uh, helicopter above and he and he has to go like move his whole body
1: oh, so I remember to, like, backwards that exact... to look up <laughs> I feel like I remember that exact shot um... yeah. Yeah, I think in Dark Knight, there's actually a line of dialogue where he tells Morgan Freeman, I need to be able to turn my head, which is just, like, mind-blowing. Like, don't even say that on camera, because well, that's... the whole house of cards is going to come down. Well, no, that's,
0: I mean, I, I, I and this is the I think I think that's Christopher Nolan's intent is the opposite, where he's like, we have to address this. And oh, of course, That's yeah. sort of Christopher Nolan did for the whole, you know, that's what all Batman begins, where we're finding out, like, oh, I'm ordering these masks from different companies, so none of them will know. Like all the different parts come from different companies, so no one will know that I'm actually like,
1: right. Batman Begins <laughs> treats people like adults almost to a fault. It's like it gets a little too. I love Batman Begins, and I I really and we'll you know we'll get there chronologically. Yeah. But I really appreciate how it's like oh like the audience has grown up with these things, but the key word is grown up. So let's talk about like the logistics of becoming Batman. But then it is weird how it gets into like purchase
0: orders for things. Yeah. Um. So there was I I did I left out the two Swamp Thing movies uh, Mm. by Wes Wes Craven did the first one I
1: didn't realize those would count Uh,
0: Um, I, I, I mean it's based off of DC comic he does superhero things it's true it's true um god i saw I've, those when i, was I am a kid. yeah i, I saw i saw it on them. tv all i remember is adrian barbeau in like a in like this like one piece thong with <laughs> yeah i think she's that's, wearing
1: like an 80s unitard yeah unit yeah and it was and that
0: that was that was huge to me but that's all of i course, remember yeah of course and then um, uh,
1: heather locklear in the second one if i'm not mistaken uh, i didn't i did not see the uh, Nobody saw. yeah
0: <laughs> was, it was uh, it apparently it was theatrical though um
1: well, somebody saw it. Yeah, then, yeah. But they didn't tell a bunch of friends.
0: Um, there was uh, apparently Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles counts. Well, I mean, that, okay. ma- that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But...
1: Also based on a also based on a comic. Um, and that's another one where it's like the, that's like a microcosm of the whole thing, where like the source material is kind of at war with the commercial uh, potential. Yeah, and you have to find this like perfect synthesis. And that's let's like if there's any kind of thesis to be gleaned from like me getting to talk about this for a while, it's that. Uh, You talked about having to get into, trying to get into detective comics and the mythology being impenetrable. What a movie can do, uh, what a movie needs to do just in order to be successful and like work on that scale is be broad enough for everybody and still move the machine forward. Like you then still have to like feed the beast. So you end up getting these things where it's like Nick Fury in the comics is white. But I think they're kind of shifting the focus onto a new Nick Fury estranged son who is black. Okay, and like around the time Iron Man came out, they did a very similar thing, which was um, making uh, Iron Man's uh, antagonist of that run the son of the Jeff Bridges character in the movie. So you get these little these little tectonic shifts where things are kind of like settling to become more like one big story that yeah. everybody can kind of I, get on I mean, board on the, with.
0: You know, on the one hand, uh, you know, Batman has, you know, sold millions of, you know, comics and has been around forever and has, but at the other hand, like, the biggest Batman probably ever was, was that, you know, was the 1989 movie. Yeah, exactly. So you, uh, so, you know, I imagine there's a lot of, like, we, people who saw the movie are going to want to get comics, so we need to make it more like...
1: They need to be able, exactly, and Marvel especially has this sort of in-house motto of, like, every comic is somebody's first. Yeah. So, for instance, when the Captain America movie came out, uh, Captain America in the comics was a different guy. It was his, or or around the time. I might not have my chronology right, but... Uh, Captain America was the Bucky sidekick was like found and uh, took up the mantle. So oh, the, I see. The movie comes out and it's like, oh, we got to get, we got to get Steve Rogers has to be Captain America because people who love the movie will then buy the comics and will then pay for the next movie. Right. So it's a sort of like chicken and the egg dance with the audience and with the source material, where everybody's got a, you know, there's this quote uh, misattributed probably to Stan Lee about how nobody really wants change, they want the illusion of change. Yeah. And with the movies, it's like, you're drawing for maybe 50 to 60 years of material, and within all of those individual storylines and writer visions, like, something's going to fight its way to the top. Like, Frank Miller is going to draw pearls on Bruce Wayne's mom, and those pearls are going to rattle onto the pavement. And then... Even though that's an image that arrives in like the late '80s, that's going to be a thing in Batman. That's going to be in the movies because that's like so iconic and powerful that it right. just it wins. Like if there's like a <laughs> if there's like a mythos like simmering at the bottom of this, like stuff is just fighting to be part of the the core story. Whenever a new writer takes yeah, over, yeah,
0: the, the quote unquote iconography. Yeah, exactly. Which is probably why a lot of. Uh, Comic book fans were uh, so against the idea of Donald Glover being the new. Which, (laughs) by the way,
1: by the way, uh, I get that because I've been like the purest nerd fan. Oh, really? But there's a time and place for being an obstructionist, and uh, it is when you are 14. (laughs) You have to. You have to sit back and objectively acknowledge that Donald Glover would have been an amazing Spider-Man. Right, and uh, no
0: reference intended. An amazing, amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. um, well, and I think I think Batman Eighty Nine sort of was at the peak of this thing that always fascinated me, which isn't just that doesn't just go to uh, superheroes but somewhere in the early 90s and i'm not sure if this has ever been really explored i n- never could quite figure out why like america became obsessed like hollywood at least became obsessed with the 40s like i feel like there's a ton of movies that take place and there's like radio land murders and you know another superhero movie listed here is dick tracy right and, that's the biggie yeah the rocketeer the shadow the phantom like God, when you lay them all out like that, and, it really uh, makes a case. There's, there's like a ton of those kind of art deco thing, and I and I I don't know if that is because they're all taking from Batman or what, but it's probably this
1: combination of the success of Batman and the age of the executives who had stroke at that time. You know what I mean? I'm sure if we I'm sure if we look into it, there's a lot of guys who are like, because I mean, right now we're seeing. Movies based on the comics that my dad was reading as a kid. My dad's, you know, in his mid to late 50s. Yeah. Um, So there's probably a lot of, like, late 50s, early 60s people with, you know, money and influence. And I don't know anything about the biz. Right, right. This is all totally uh, speculation. But I have to imagine that everything is kind of like aging forward on these kind of like parallel tracks. So it's like you start getting movies that take the Avengers seriously because people who took the Avengers seriously growing up are now in the position to make those. So if there was a huge, I mean, clearly there was a huge (laughs) outbreak of like 1940s, Properties. I mean, maybe it was just like a fad. Maybe they just like got their hands on yeah, them. Yeah, I, I just—I've
0: always been curious, just about sort of the why that always—that always interests me. I'll bet there's
1: like a lot of dudes who were like 55 to 60 then, and are yeah. now you know 80 or 90 who will be like, "Yeah, no, I loved that stuff, and I wanted to turn it into a movie."
0: Radioland Land Murders, great. Um, that
1: one I don't know. That one I can't vouch for. That was a—that no was like a uh,
0: George Lucas produced movie, and like all George Lucas produced movies, it was like way overhyped and too big for what it was which is basically just like this very broad uh, theatrical farce that takes place over like the course of a night uh at a uh, at, like a performance of a radio show and there's everyone's just getting like killed left and right like it's very <laughs> much just like the kind of like comedic play that you would see at a high school right yeah it sounds but, kind of like a they mystery. well what's right. crazy is there are like these giant shots of like the camera going up the skyscraper like that's all cg at like state at the art of 1994 cg and stuff like that and there's like all these huge names in it and everything and it was like so it's that sort of just like making a sandcastle with a bulldozer yeah. kind of approach. <laughs> um. it's so funny that you that uh george lucas produced
1: uh f- disaster should come up because we haven't talked about the most important comic book adaptation howard the duck
0: that's right uh oh it's not even listed
1: Oh, that's a that's an oversight. Is he,
0: I guess he's not consi- is he not considered a superhero? Or?
1: I feel if you've been in a Marvel team up with uh, Man Thing or Spider Man, then yeah. I, you're absolutely a superhero. I didn't
0: know that he had. Uh, how I've I've not seen Howard the Duck either, so I I know nothing about it's, it.
1: It's it's pretty dreadful. It really yeah. lives up to the hype. But uh, Howard the Duck is a canonical Marvel character. He exists in Marvel's six one six universe. He's met Spider Man and the Avengers. And-
0: Does he? What? How is he useful?
1: Oh, that's a that's a terrible <laughs> word to use. He's not at all. Um, he's an anomaly. He's like, you know, if you if you want to do funny animal comics, but your whole thing is that you're the Marvel Universe. Like, if you want to do like a sassy kind of like self aware post R right? Right. Like, talking animal, but like at the end of the day, everything still has to take place in Manhattan. <laughs> like. Transformers were briefly part of the Marvel Universe. Uh, Godzilla has been part of the Marvel Universe. Star Wars has had Marvel Comics, but I don't know if they take place in the same universe, but a long time ago in a galaxy far away or something so,
0: but so okay, so not everything that is published by Marvel takes place in the Marvel Universe, right? Most of it for a long time did. Um, so so uh, well, because if you had
1: Spider-Man, why wouldn't you just put him in anything you wanted to sell? <laughs> Like that's kind of how that happens
0: <laughs> so so what what other Marvel characters interacted with Godzilla?
1: Oh, I mean Spider-Man for sure, I haven't read any of the Godzilla uh, <laughs> comics, but I got sucked into the Wikipedia page not terribly long ago, and um, it's fascinating. I think he just like paled around with a little boy, and I'm sure they mostly just fought like one-off monsters and stuff, but uh, yeah, he would he would interact with like flagship characters.
0: Um I think one of the sort of the the trends of the sort of the superhero movies going through the 90s was that it was sort of is a little winking um and it was a little like it was especially you know after 94 and pulp fiction and everything became self-aware and everything like uh like you you you'd have movies like Batman Forever and you you'd have movies like uh Blade where they would really try to like like, make everyone know that we're not taking this that seriously. And we're, you know... Uh, I mean, especially Batman Forever, which... uh, I, which I There's a lot I like about the style and the aesthetic of that movie, but... um,
1: Batman Forever at the time, and I was a kid, so maybe I don't know, but at the time, I feel like people thought Batman Forever was good.
0: Yeah. Well, I well, like I mean, it was, Batman it was, and Robin it
1: was... is so infamous, but I think people like Batman Forever gets a weird pass because Batman and Robin is so bad. And they're really just, they're really just the same
0: beast. Yeah, the only only problem is, like, Batman and Robin completely abandons any attempt at doing anything other than just being, like, a silly movie for six-year-olds, where Batman Forever does, like, go, oh, he's mourning his parents, and he, like, it does play with the emotional half, but what I kind of, I mean, maybe this is just me liking shit that's subversive but I I do like that Joel Schumacher was able to just make the most homoerotic uh, Gotham City that ever existed yeah
1: I mean more power to him like if you can if you have like kind of like a a Pervy vision of yeah. something, and you can make the biggest movie of the year. Yeah, that movie made uh, it be soaked top to bottom. Three
0: hundred thirty-six million dollars. Yeah,
1: if you can, if, if you can make three hundred. Like, million there's just statues of weird, naked
0: men everywhere oh, in Gotham. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean that's that's a great lens to view it in because then it's like the success of like a Damien Hirst-esque weirdo, just like kind of like creating this this like uh, huge. In your face spectacle, but I mean, looking at it as a comic book fan, you're just like, just insulted, yeah. just like, no, barraged with disrespect.
0: Yeah, I'm looking. I mean, yeah, if you look at it, I'm looking at it just purely through the lens of, like, there there is definitely a cap on how much I'm going to enjoy, uh, like a superhero movie to begin with. There's very few that, uh, like, I I embrace and love and is something that I just adore, just because it's not my thing so like for me it's what is interesting about this movie yeah
1: that's fair because you're just looking at it like a like a normal person right well yeah <laughs> except i'm not even like i'm not, you're not even... a broken man in no. that way
0: <laughs> i know i'm not even like big into the uh the uh spectacle i me. Mean. but um okay so uh, i do
1: feel like that era was like divided into these three categories of like uh Stuff that we're going to make, but we're not going to treat it like a comic book movie, like, you know, the first Punisher movie, or Blade, where it's, like, not super important that it was a comic Yeah, book. yeah,
0: yeah. A lot of people don't know that Blade was a comic.
1: And then stuff where it's, like, like super low budget, and uh, Fox or somebody owns the property, and they have to make something so that they can hold on to it for mm-hmm. another, you know, however many years, so that they can eventually make the real one.
0: Oh, I Yeah, yeah. So that's... Uh... And this
1: is all still pre-X-Men, because X-Men is sort of X- the watershed.
0: Yeah, X-Men, and then... Uh, and then Joel sort Schumacher of the, sort is the, of the third category. It's sort of the one-two punch of X-Men and Spider-Man, I think. Uh, yeah, because at this time in the 90s, like it wasn't just expected that your big summer action movies would be superhero movies. Oh,
1: no, not at all. I mean, that was like unheard of. Like Doing an X-Men movie... Was crazy. It was like impossible to budget. And like, if you look at like cool, weird treatments of things at that time, it's always like James Cameron's Spider Man with Leonardo DiCaprio, and it was supposed to cost like seven hundred million dollars to make or whatever.
0: Yeah. And I, I actually, I want to go back because it's not listed here for some reason, but it's one of my favorites. Uh, I think. I think Tank Girl is kind of. Oh Lord.
1: Yeah, Tank Girl is another one where it's like it's just an oddity like it's not important that you know what the comic book
0: is but, but what, I, what i think is interesting about it is like comic books are able to be like even you know i have, I have batman comics from the I've, I've sort of restarted uh collecting certain uh stories from the early 90s and like even like you know uh, you know post frank miller and all that like like, comics were super violent, and, like, that's a mainstream comic, and so you could have something like Batman be super violent, and children would still be reading it because, like, their parents aren't going to skim through it, and there's, right. there's not, like, there are swear words that they are overhearing on the television, there, or, like, it's not like they're walking in and watching seeing their kids play Mortal Kombat, or, so like, right, right. it's not a thing where the, the parent can easily oversee... If they
1: don't go page by page, right. they might not know. Batman, I think, uh, has... Um, uh, I think I, I think I heard this phrase in like a book about Sesame Street, but they call it the wholesome halo, where it's like if you are, uh, you know, if you put something that's trusted on your product, like uh, like oh like this can't be you know bad for you because it's got Elmo on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where
1: it's just like oh like I grew up with Batman, I know what those are. Like those are you know campy fun adventures. And, like, nowadays, especially, DC comics are just, like, entire families I, I, getting decapitated. Yeah,
0: I, saw, I, yeah, I I, picked up, like, a recent Batman, like, maybe a, not so recent, like, a year ago, and it was literally just him torturing, like, it turned into 24. Like, it's him <laughs> torturing people, like, trying to figure out where Riddler hid the bomb or whatever. Yeah,
1: the new Batman talks kind of like Jack Bauer as yeah, well. Yeah, so. he does.
0: Um, but uh, what I think is interesting, like, is superhero movies kind of will water that... We'll always water that down. And like Tank Girl is like an independent comic where the whole thing was like extremely just edgy. And like, but what I like about it is it's, it was sort of like, you know, made for like, you know, 20 something like feminists who, you know, who who like listen to Bikini Killer or whatever. Right. And the movie feels like it was made for like them, but if they were at 14 years old, like it's, it's a little sillier and it's a little.
1: It's so crazy. I, I, was, I was like a 12 or 13-year-old boy when I saw Tank Girl. And it, you know, I, it'd be maybe generous to say that it went over my head. But, yeah. like, if I wasn't the audience for that movie, then I don't know who the audience was <laughs> for that movie. It's so bananas.
0: Yeah, I really, I really do enjoy it, though. I think Lori Petty's performance is really good. Um, but uh, I, I do want to ask, before we get move on to X-Men and sort of the current uh, boom, uh, have you seen Spawn?
1: Oh, yeah I've absolutely seen spawn because I I mean
0: uh, I comi- have a the comics are kind of do you like the comics because kinda- no, okay they're no, horrible I right for those yeah. yeah
1: but it was that was another thing where it was like I think spawn is an important watershed because that's where like the sheer brute force of money starts moving these things. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, And it's kind of like, Spawn was so successful that it couldn't not be a movie. And it also, like, sort of had to be the comic, because this gets into this sort of, like... You know, we live in the age of adaptation now, where it's like, yep, to do Harry Potter right, like, you got to do eight of them and that was never a concern <laughs> that was it's like everything we've talked about up to this point has just been somebody slapping the name superman onto whatever they were going to make anyway right and the the success of of something like spawn and just like the rabidness of the fan base uh, people start to realize like, oh, there's also money to be made in giving people what they want. And sometimes it's going to work and sometimes it's not. And maybe with Spawn, there's not enough there to begin with to kind yeah. of make a real movie out of it.
0: And it, I'm, I'm, I, I have not seen it. Is it as sort of crazy, perverse, like violent, grotesque as the, the comic? Where it's... No,
1: I don't think so. From what I remember, like it's, it's almost certainly PG thirteen, um, just for from commercial, you know, uh, necessity. Oh, and I, are
0: you sure? I, I, is I, it rated R? R? It's not listed here. I, almost, I was almost sure it was rated R, but I don't know. For I don't know. So it could I would, be PG thirteen. I
1: would bet that it was still more. I think it's still more a product of the era of like the shadow, <laughs> where like yeah, like he like they might get the costume right, but at the end of the day, it's still just like a guy in a rubber suit punching things, right. you know, or like the Ninja Turtles movies where they sort of can only go so far into that universe when it still just kind of looks like every other movie from the 90s it's just got like some monsters in it right so yeah i don't i don't recall spawn being that like in your face i think it's more like silly than anything like i think the subversiveness just comes from it being kind of like mtv-ish
0: yeah is that how mtv is a touchdown that i is probably a big explanation for the approach to a lot of these that's true yeah they get to define youth culture for
1: a chunk of this chronology
0: um uh so uh you know and in apparently like in 1999 they they released mystery men which is based on a comic but like is sort of the first movie attempt at uh at like a watchman kind of Commenting on superheroes. Which yeah, is kind that's of, fascinating. Because w- it, it happened as early as 1999. Right. That's
1: really interesting how, as the comics got to a place where you would want to sort of start being self aware and subverting them, the comic book movies have taken kind of a parallel uh, path where um, stuff starts creeping in, like uh, uh, James Gunn, I think, did Super. Oh, that's. Uh, yeah. Um, with uh, Rain Wilson. and
0: I think he. It may not have been James Gunn. Someone, there's another movie came out around the same time as *Mystery Men*, but it was like, it was like super low budget release. It was called like *Specials* or something. Yeah,
1: I remember that. I remember the *Specials*. I haven't seen it. And I mean, yeah, *Super* is like there's a huge gap between *Mystery Men* and *Super*. But just the fact that,
0: but I, yeah, I, in I was, the
1: same way. The comics have this kind of like person looking. Yeah, and I, the and movies. I, and
0: apparently that is sort of the uh, if, if we want to skive ahead, like that was sort of the idea behind some of *Watchmen*. Right, right. And eventually
1: Watchmen happens in both mediums. Yeah. It's like, you can't stop Watchmen from where, coming.
0: He was, uh, where, uh, Zach, uh, Zach, not Zach Penn. Zach Snyder, right? Zach Snyder. There you go. Zach Penn actually co- was, co-wrote was the story for the Avengers. Um, Zack Snyder was sort of like uh, doing, like putting in a lot of stuff where it was a parody of superhero movies, but at the same time it was so slavishly uh, faithful to the comic.
1: yeah. That's that's fantastic. I can't remember who I was reading an interview with, um, but uh, somebody was talking about how Dave Gibbons is um, blocking in uh, Watchmen resembles the don't panels in How to Draw the Marvel Way. There's like the do panels and the don't panels. <laughs> so in order to tell this story about like these kind of like uh, kitchen table stories about superheroes being people, um, Gibbons would choose like very static compositions and like kind of like straight on uh angles and stuff and then the, like one of the most I hate Zack Snyder but he's yeah. like one of the more cinematic directors of his generation comes yeah. in and just like steals the compositions that were bad on purpose and puts right. them and, I mean, on the and, big screen.
0: Yeah, and the original Watchmen had the nine nine panels per page, yeah. sort of, like, very rigid, no sound, like, the right, whole thing exactly. was... And, like, Watchmen is so super stylish. Right, if there's
1: anything that's crying out for a less-than-slavish adaptation, <laughs> it's an unadaptable book. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I you know, yeah, it's... Watchmen is a comic because it has to be a comic. And- I,
1: full disclosure, Watchmen is one of a small handful of superhero movies I haven't seen. Oh, you have not? I haven't seen Watchmen and I it's, haven't seen... It,
0: it's, it's, it is so faithful and it's horrible and uh, hearing Rorschach talk, uh, they, one of the unfortunate sort of places he decided to put superhero commentary is he gave Rorschach the bat voice. Oh, nice. And so, But, but here... like, it,
1: even if there wasn't the bat voice, that's probably how like someone would make Rorschach
0: talk. <laughs> yeah, no, I, but the, the, the problem is like, then you hear these long monologues that red are fine, but like it sounds like he's trying to deliver a joke oh, or something. Oh, I
1: see. I see. Because he ends up, yeah, he's so devoted to the text that he takes these yeah. huge chunks no, of yeah. copy. No, It's not
0: Yeah, and it's and it's really clunky <laughs> it gargles and gargles them through like molten <laughs> gravel. Right, exactly. And I mean, and the the, the watchman is a make like, a mini series. It is not like one, I mean it is one story, but it's it's a mini-series, and it's paced like a mini-series. It meanders on purpose, yeah. And you can't do that with a movie, and so it feels like really bloated, and the pacing's horrible, and... I don't know, I really don't like Watchmen, but let's go back to, uh... So, but X-Men is sort of what I'm... Before things went up their own butts, before yeah.
1: they started commenting on... The X-Men comments.
0: sort of feels like this thing where we need to... Uh, we, we want to be, you know, sort of faithful, but we also want to not be silly and we're very afraid of being silly and there are these lines where it's like where it's like they're in the black they're all like everyone's just wearing black leather suits and it's like what would you like yellow spandex like they
1: yeah they they need to it's it's still that era of like it's a growing pain is what it is yeah and you know how i think the the best analogy i can think of is um uh, how hesitant they are to use the word zombie in a zombie movie, right? Yeah, yeah, the Z word, and then how Shaun of the Dead kind of comments on that overtly. Superhero is the unmentionable word in superhero movies. So when Iron Man at the end of at the end of uh, Iron Man, when Tony Stark is giving his press conference, and then again in the scene with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Iron Man kind of like offhandedly, sarcastically refers to himself as a superhero. Yeah. And then Samuel Jackson says, Did you think you were the only superhero in the world? It's like, oh, like we're like we're doing it. Like okay, they, they, they're that's not half-assing the, it. Exactly. That's the moment. That's where it's like, okay, it is now okay to be a superhero in a superhero movie. And what X-Men is sort of saying is like, we know we can't really do the, the thing. But but we like X-Men, and we're going to give you as much of this as possible while still working in the constraints of a believable summer action movie. Yeah,
0: I mean, even, uh, yeah, you can, you know, and of course, the most serious superhero movie is Unbreakable, which... Uh, Boy, is it ever. That same year, where was it's like... Was that off mic, where are I think it was, I think, yeah, I don't think we were recording it, when we were talking about, uh, yeah, Devin Faraci of Baddest Digest refers to it, like, as a superhero movie that has the tone of a cancer drama. Which is spot on. There's like that whole scene at the kitchen table where the like kid is pointing a gun, He's pointing at him.
1: a gun at his father, and I was just thinking that of all the scenes in any M Night Shyamalan movie. That's the one that sticks with me because it's such a great uh, blending of of genres that you just really don't see, mostly because it's hard to do without it being laugh out loud. Yeah, but um, yeah, Unbreakable is the sort of like. And that's, a, that's another one where it's not based on anything. It's actually, I say another one, it's probably the only one where it's not based on a property, but it does want to explore the conventions of it. And it's just, it's another one of those weird gaps between the reality of a movie and the reality of, you know, reality, where it's like, oh, people, on, people in movies, like, use the internet weird. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. So, like, to have... To talk about superheroes as superheroes in a movie is always kind of like there's a there's a disconnect because the movie is also fake. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think by talking about superheroes in the context of the real world, Unbreakable does some weird things, and it's probably not for everybody. But I like it a lot.
0: And I do. I think I think uh, Sam Raimi's Spider Man was feels it felt like kind of important as far as embracing the. Uh, the sort of we 're going to have a super villain um, we 're not going to have some sort of vague threat we're like we're going to have a super villain and it's going to be colorful it 's not going to be dark yeah um, and but at the same time, like spider man is uh you know he has organic webs like because they're like' oh, cause sure as surely they're afraid, oh, how are we going to explain that he can design these own, these web shooters and stuff and
1: sure uh, spider man is the biggie uh, i i think x men is sort of like. X-Men is the one that opens the door, and Spider-Man is the one that charges through. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the organic web shooters is another one of those things where the comics and the movies kind of had to settle into each other, and I think he had organic web shooters in the comics, like, shortly thereafter. Oh, really? But, yeah, Spider-Man is, you know, if X-Men is this tremendous proof of concept that you can take these take these uh, properties with, like, a modicum of seriousness... And still make something that is that is fun and to some extent resembles the source material. I'm not super crazy about the first X-Men movie, but I was, you know, youngish and kind of a purist when yeah. it came out. Um, but I love the second one. I think it's such a carefully balanced little ensemble adventure. Um, but yeah, Spider-Man is the first one where it's like, hey, let's put it in the hands of a fan who grew up with this and just trust him and see what happens and just the name of the name of the game becomes tone with all of these things yeah. everything that comes after it's all about tone like hitting that like unapologetic like swashbuckly like you said colorful right. having a real villain it it ends up being these like all ages adventures where people who grew up with this stuff want to take their kids and everybody's on the same page about what the core is
0: yeah, and um, I, I actually I don't remember X Men Two. I do remember that what what I like about it is it is entirely almost about like interpersonal struggle. Absolutely. <laughs> like yeah, and like it is li- very much about the characters, which you know, it, it, which is I, my as far at least as far as my understanding like is a you know very large part of the ac- of like actual comic books is you can't just keep coming up with new supervillains who have new... Like, eventually you're going to have to talk about, you know, how Wolverine feels about Cyclops and stuff.
1: Sure. Yeah, in X-Men especially, because X-Men has always been, like, the soap opera to end all soap operas. Right.
0: I mean, yeah, yeah, because it's you know it's very dramatic and it's about teenagers, right, right, and not fitting in. And- well,
1: X Men is also one of the rare successful ensemble, or um, X Men Two rather, is one of the rare successful like ensemble ones, and I really feel that that's what Avengers does so satisfyingly is uh, balancing out the way the characters are parcelled out, and you know we'll we'll get there.
0: Yeah. Um, so I I've not seen Engle's Hulk. Angley's Hulk.
1: Can I come back and just talk yes, about Angley's Hulk absolutely. for an hour? Absolutely. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um,
0: <laughs> Spider-Man Two is like I love the action scenes, um, and again, I love that the, the villain's even bigger this time, yeah. and the the scene the, the at this point, like the city, it, it's no longer just like the showdown happens in a warehouse somewhere or something right. like, somewhere. Oh, what? Like at this point, they're able. The the CGI is good enough that you can show like people being thrown into buildings and stuff, and, like, so the subway sort of crashing and stuff like that. Like, really big sort of events that you could never, you know, pull off before. Even in X-Men, all the fight scenes just happen in, like, a snowy road right. or something. like, Or or they're, like, in, on the Statue of Liberty set. Yeah, like, there's no literally actual... pinned to the wall inside of a small room. Because there is this thing, and that's sort of what blew my mind at the end of, or what I love so much about the end of Iron Man, was there's this thing where it's, like... Because each movie is so rigidly, like, stuck in their own thing, there's this idea of, like, no, status quo must be maintained in almost like a sitcom way. The world cannot be changed irrevocably. Right Um, right. At the end of the movie, it has to be sort of reset because we don't know what we're doing next. And Iron Man just ends with him, like, the world now has a superhero and they have a, like, they know the man behind him <laughs> yeah he just throws
1: a grenade yeah basically just, and that's such
0: a that's such a great move it's and, so
1: satisfying even if there had never it, been another sequel it's just such a satisfying thing to just uh to just like throw out the book on yeah. your way out
0: yeah and uh, so but spider-man 2 is wonderful action sequences and that's sort of and it's sort of where things got real big um but at the same time like i really don't like the melodramatic because like, so much of it is about James Franco and Kirsten Dunst sure. and Peter Park and uh, and Tobey Maguire, but it's like, it's the emotions are just so. Big and melodramatic and it I mean i it fits it it, yeah. just, it doesn't it doesn't feel inconsistent it's just not something I that's the thing though that's with.
1: that's spider man like that's yeah. always been as much of part of it as as anything else when I read an interview with Raimi where he said that the key word with spider man is angst, yeah, like at the end of the day like that's really what it's about. it's just the brooding teenager who made a terrible choice and now is going to punish himself for the rest I of do, his life I do
0: miss though that uh he sort of covers like because in the Raimi movies, it, it, it looks like the newer Spider-Man movie that's coming out. They actually do this where there weren't a lot of wisecracks, and that was that was always the thing that I recognized about Spider-Man was that he was always, he's, he's yeah, he was mouthy. It's yeah.
1: interesting they kind of they kind of took it easy. You could see them sort of paying lip service to it in the first one when he's kind of trading barbs with uh, with Macho Man.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: But. Um, uh which like in hindsight is just a gay joke like <laughs> it is probably worth <laughs> worth pointing out that Spider-Man's Spider-Man's clever retort to Bonesaw McGraw is just that he, he accuses um he accuses uh his boyfriend of buying him that unitard which i i guess is like a pretty effective thing to say to a big roided out wrestler but um speaks to like how quickly these things are evolving um but yeah the 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 new the new Spider-Man that's coming out looks a little sassier but it also looks like way Darker, and when when Sam Raimi uh, does angst, he's kind of spelling it with a lowercase a. It's still in this like cotton candy universe, right? Right. But um, the romance and stuff, I just I'm a sucker for that. I gobble okay. that
0: up. Um, well, in 2004, it feels like this is where the the sort of the two paths of comic book movies, the two sort of opposing paths emerge. Because 2004, there's Spider Man two, and there's Hellboy. Which are both like very committed to. This is going to be big, and this is going to be fantastical, and this is, and there. But there's also the Punisher. That's um, right. That's and the, right. And the very next year, sort of off that sort of line, would be Batman Begins, where it's where like the at, at one point the Punisher tortures someone. I, I've not seen it, but someone told, like like. Like, he holds a popsicle to their neck? Like he, <laughs> like, like, Or, like, he puts, like, parking tickets on their car or something? The like hell? Like, in the first Punisher. Is
1: the Punisher just the boy from Home Alone, all yeah. grown up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's
0: Kevin McAllister, and he wants revenge. That, that's, that's actually my favorite part. They made my, <laughs> <laughs> they made my family disappear. They
1: made my family disappear. Um, well, that's actually, that's my impossible.
0: Punisher Warzone is the impossible sort of home alone setup that Wayne Knight has. That's true. In that, yeah. in that grandma, like his grandmother's house. Yeah, whatever. there's
1: that that unlikely uh, hidden traps and weapons, uh, armory and stuff. Yeah, it's really interesting because here you get into like, you know, at the outset of a at the outset of any, um, uh, Keith Phipps in his uh, Avengers review for the AV Club uh, called this a golden age for superhero movies. And if you look at, like, the golden age of anything, it's just, like, an explosion of content, and it's all kind of all over the place. You know, like, 30 bands who kind of sound like the Beatles, but then, like, the Beatles get to be the Beatles, because they're better at it. So you get things like Punisher and Batman Begins within a couple of years, and then it's clear that, like, one of them is kind of tapped in. To, you know, the, the way things are going. And then one of them is just sort of like, oh, people are clamoring for this. Let's see what we can do.
0: I really, I'm not a big fan of Batman games. It almost feels like a shame to be uh, like a comic book movie uh, at times. Like it's just so serious. And the color, I mean, and I have I have my own hangups with color correction. But like the whole movie just looks like brown and oh and it's gray. yeah it's a
1: consciously very brown movie and it's and as it, much as dark Knight is blue batman begins yeah. wants to be burnt orange and
0: it's and i mean i like i like that it led to dark Knight, but there is this like because like that sort of ultra serious real world world approach does warrant interesting results but it also has that like it also ends up doing that weird thing where like in the dark night like harvey dent and and gary oldman are uh are, are having the conversation on the uh on the roof of the police station, like it's like a scene from Heat, and then all of yeah. a sudden like there's just a guy dressed as a bat there as well. Right.
1: It's almost, <laughs> if you had never seen anything Batman-related before, and this isn't a new observation, but you would never buy it. You yeah. would never agree to, to participate in this. And ultimately, what you're describing is really the reality of, of comic books as well as comic book movies is that it, it basically boils down to two different categories. There's people who love comic books and then there's people who love Batman. And just like the idea of Batman, and like they'll see anything that's Batman-esque. But because people who love Batman don't necessarily love comic books, I totally get why Christopher Nolan's first act as shepherd of that franchise is to like, let's pretend there's never been anything Batman before yeah. ever. Like you don't, you're not a, you're not a silly, you know, uh, Joel Schumacher film comic book fan. Like you're, you're a cool guy who's gonna watch another cool and guy I, and be I, cool. I, well,
0: I think one of the good things about this sort of golden and age, you know, with the Avengers and everything, is that, like, it is sort of a, it's sort of bypassing the need now for, I think, the origin story always, because there's, like, I feel, you know, earlier on, it's, it's like, we have to go through great lengths to make sure this is, this makes sense, and uh, we have to, we have to go through great lengths to make sure that the reason, like, because why would anyone be a superhero? That's crazy, so, like... So every single movie that came out was just like an origin story, origin story, origin story. And so they all sort of feel the same. Now I think you could just come out and do a superhero movie that, you know, that almost like the 89 Batman that sort of, you know, you figure out the origin, but you don't have to necessarily go through the fir- his first six months as a yeah, superhero. Yeah, here he is. Year one.
1: You know, I agree with you that that is like viability, that that is sort of like from a storytelling and commercial perspective you could now start doing this, but I still don't think they would just because origin stories are so compelling and sort of so built into the structure of screenwriting. Yeah, You know, like at the end of the day, like most movies you watch are going to be some kind of origin story that like tracks in a very similar way, uh, just because it's so comfortable for like a regular Joe to like go through some kind of crisis and emerge with you know some kind of like newfound newfound ability
0: I think I mean it's yeah it's definitely easier but I mean I I think of stuff like uh you know like Indiana Jones he's just he is Indiana Jones and within five seconds you accept it and that's a really good now point. you are free to tell a story. You yeah. know that hasn't been told four times a year for the past several, you know. Right, like...
1: especially with a especially with a character like Batman, where everybody kind of knows what the toolbox is. Right. But then at the same time, like, they're much more likely to reboot Spider-Man and reboot Hulk than to just agree that everybody knows what the deal is. Although, I guess the Hulk movie, they did sort of... Requel it Where it was like Half reboot Half sort of like Pretending to pick up Where it left off
0: Yeah Well yeah It was it was The, the, the Incredible Hulk Marvel movie Right uh, And this
1: is the one Where they start You know Getting everybody Getting their house in order
0: Yeah This is the 2008 one It plays It's like a It's like a sequel To a movie That didn't happen
1: Yeah Yeah That's a really good way Of putting it It's not a, It's a
0: sequel to something It's a sequel right. Maybe to the To the Bill Bixby TV show Right um, there's actually uh, I don't know if you've ever read uh, film, film Crit Hulk Oh yeah Yeah I've read some Film Crit Hulk uh, He actually He just had a uh, article In the New York Times In, <laughs> in all No no I'm sorry not, not even the New York Times The fucking I think it was the New Yorker in all in all caps. Oh, is that a first for them? In uh, all caps. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it is. Oh, that
1: is so cool. And it is. Yeah, he must be having a banner year. No. Oh was... God, that was an awesome pun. I wish I'd done that on purpose. <laughs> Holy moly! Edit this to make it sound like that was. I'll just, yeah, I'll just edit an out incredibly here. I'll... clever quip.
0: Yeah. um... No, but, and he was, it's all about uh, what makes a good uh, sort of Hulk movie, and it's all about you don't want him to turn into the Hulk. You're supposed to feel bad that he's sort of burdened with this monster. Yeah, And that was something I think, and that's, you know, what is it? the whole point was like, that's something the Avengers gets, like, exactly right.
1: Yeah. There's elements of, like, it's almost like a Michael Myers chase, but the monster lives inside you. Like, yeah. the guy should just always be on the verge of danger. Um, all right, let's... Uh,
0: Superman Returns.
1: Superman Returns. Superman Returns is real funny, and I will spend as little time talking about it as possible, because it's just like... It's... Uh, where Batman Begins was really smart in that like it knew people liked the abstract idea of Batman. Yeah. Um, Superman Returns treats the original Superman movies like they're Star Wars. Yeah. Like, there's a... like. And I'm not even a Star Wars fan, but that there's people clamoring for a return to the Richard Donner vision, which was just not true. <laughs> and then on top of that, it makes, like, one of the most boring movies I've ever seen in the theaters. Yeah. Uh,
0: I thought Brandon Roth is a fine Superman, but uh, it's not a great Clark Kent. Yeah.
1: And playing Superman is hard. Yeah, like, it I, is. I get that there's probably not a perfect Superman out there unless he's, like... You know, already, you know, like John Hamm is like 40. Right. Like someone who you feel. That they are smarter than you and just well, comforting to I, I be mean, around.
0: There's, uh, I, I read an article recently about like, uh, like the reason that so many current movie stars are Australian is because there aren't really manly men in America anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we talked so much about we talked so much about Bruce Willis uh, earlier, yeah. um, and how he's kind of like the last one of those guys who is also an actor. Right. And now you have like, you know, Chan- Channing Tatum or whoever who's just like, oh, he's strong. That's the main part, yeah. right? That he's I, mean, I like,
0: I like Channing. Tatum. Tatum. uh he's a there's a movie a guide to recognizing your saints which is sort of like a do the right thing mean streets kind of like streets of new york in the late 70s i will check that that's, out that's it's a, he's he's very good in that and i mean he has natural kind of charisma which is important but yeah he's not
1: I kind of picked him out of a hat. I mean, I easily could have said, like, Vin Diesel. Like, right. Just any crop of guys who are just like, oh, like, they're muscly. That's, like, the
0: important part. They're, they're muscly, and they can deliver a line. What's crazy about Vin Diesel, he started out as a regular actor. That always cracks me yeah, up. Like, like, right. Like, like, at one point, Jason Statham was not just doing only act. Like, he wasn't uh, – at one point, he wasn't Steven Seagal. Like, at one point, Jason Statham – just happened to be in lockstock and two small right, barrels right. and was doing other films as well. And he was just like, oh, this is a funny, mouthy guy. And then somehow, like, and I always liked him because he was funny and he, you know, he delivered lines well. He's very, you know, clever. But, like, Somehow, like, the thing that got big about him was that he, like, kicked people. Like, right,
1: right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's sort of just, like, a streamlining of everybody, you know? Yeah. I'm really enjoying Liam Neeson's late-life renaissance as, like, a uh, karate grandpa. <laughs> uh, how he... <laughs> you look at Liam Neeson's career, like, the evolution of it, and you think that he's Oscar Schindler, and then it turns out that he's been Dark
0: Man the whole time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which is another another great, great superhero oh, movie. That's right. I
0: did I did pass that up. That was uh Sam Raimi's first.
1: Yeah, well he wanted to do the shadow and he didn't get it, so he was like yeah, that screw was, you. That guys. That was ninety.
0: That was nineteen ninety.
1: Gonna go do my own my own original superhero property.
0: With, uh, I would say like some success.
1: I think it's worth checking out.
0: I I I think I saw it on T V once, but I can't I don't recall. Uh Let's see. And then, of course, in 2006, another sort of parody milestone, we got a romantic comedy, My Super Ex-Girlfriend.
1: Oh, that is maybe the most misogynistic film <laughs> outside of, like, Lars von Trier. Like, at least in terms of, like, something that's passing itself off as a date movie, Yeah, that is the most humiliating thing to sit through. Uh, I, oh, I'm i sure that I turned it off at some point, but I remember somehow fast-forwarding to the end, and it's just that movie hates women and men and itself
0: i like the idea i never saw it cuz it looked horrible but I, yeah. didn't, I didn't realize it was so and
1: that's another one of the things where it's like oh the genre is kind of breaking so so
0: they so they didn't balance the uh, obviously they didn't balance the concept of crazy ex-girlfriend out with like other depictions of women like... or no,
1: not so much. I think the other the other love interest is Anna Ferris and she's just like cute and yeah. kind of like pleasant to be around. Right. Um she doesn't she doesn't come off as particularly uh wise or anything.
0: What's funny about my super ex girlfriend is that's also a, sort of a plot in hellboy. Is <laughs> is that the, that's the right. new agent uh the new agent at the uh what's the
1: the uh, Bureau uh, for paranormal research and defense yeah yeah
0: um, the BPRD is right. is like is now attracted to to uh, Salma Blair and, and like Hellboys just sort of stalking him and yep. <laughs> yeah. him yeah stuff
1: it's great they it's the studio I guess sort of shoehorned that like avatar character in that like regular yeah. Joe I think his name's literally John <laughs> um, and like Hellboy is so clearly the star of that movie but it's like oh we need a real a real human man for people to relate to and then in the second one, it's just like like wall to wall monsters. Yeah. It's so crazy. <laughs>
0: I, I'm, I, I am a little sad that we're not going to get another. Probably never going to. Oh another gosh, no, sequel no, no, no. Hellboy there 2. will never be this another Boy Hellboy. 2, movie. I don't think Hellboy Two is great, but it is spectacular. Like it's the...
1: definitely flawed, but it's really ambitious. Yeah, that's another. I mean, Hellboy Two is also like Batman Returns, where it's just like let's forget about the roots of this and let's see what this director can squeeze out of it and just let it exist in a snow globe like away from the rest of superheroes away from the rest of the franchise.
0: Yeah, so I mean at this point that is what the summer tentpole is. Uh, Spider-Man 3 in 2007 which I did not see.
1: Spider-Man 3 is a
0: mess. Yeah. And that's just like a just sort of a rushed script and they sort of had to shoehorn Venom Yeah, in? they had
1: to shoehorn Venom in and you can kind of see like I feel like Sam Raimi is trying to dig the things he loves out of Spider-Man 3. Like, at the end of Spider-Man 3, it sort of becomes like a B-monster movie homage to some extent. And it is from the beginning, too, because the Venom symbiote arrives in a meteor, and it's this very, like, it looks like the blob. Right. So you can kind of, if you're into Sam Raimi, which I, you know, was very much, uh, you could kind of see him trying to bring his own joy to it. Um, But just, like, structurally, it's, it's a huge disaster. It's, like, three different movies at war with each other once I was talking so loud about uh, Spider-Man 3 in Millennium Park that um, and this time stamps it too uh, I was complaining so loud about Spider-Man 3 that someone had to shush me because they couldn't hear the Dalai Lama giving his speech And that's how you—that's how you know that's that you're your a huge nerd. That's
0: that—that is, that is your story to pull out. Like, right. well, how big of a nerd are you? Right. Well,
1: well this one time, someone had to say, uh, "Excuse me, I can't hear His Holiness talking over you <laughs> complaining about Venom."
0: So, but in 2008—that was when Iron Man came out, and that was sort of the beginning. At they dropped
1: the—they drop the S word. They start saying superhero. They
0: start saying superhero. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is obviously great. Um, I am, like, as far as his career renaissance goes, this definitely cemented it. Though I do wish that, uh, like, I feel like now he's just too big. Uh, there are, like, actors get, like, Johnny Depp will never do another small movie. Like, he's right, just gonna,
1: right. He's, he's always going to be some kind of monster and, for the rest you know, of his I, life. As
0: someone who's a fan of, you know, this didn't revive his career because no one saw it. But, like, I, you know, the real career revival came with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is such, right. such a fucking great movie he's so good and. I you know, I don't know if Robert Downey Jr. will ever
1: That was where he kind of like earned his way back into the public eye and yeah. everyone was like, Oh right, this guy was great. Yeah. Uh,
0: and luckily not enough people saw Gothica to Oh
1: yeah, yeah. No, that's <laughs> fine. That's no one needs to worry about that.
0: Um but so Iron Man is Iron Man's great for a number of reasons. Uh it sort of established the Marvel uh universe where, you know, I, I think sort of as explicated in in thor it's like science and magic are kind of the same thing right we're not going to like he and and it's a you know it's an ideal character to do that because it's like well wait how did he do that he's super smart oh okay yeah (laughs) he's super smart and super rich
1: yeah like a good a good hollywood screenwriter can kind of find the pockets of believability and buy you a lot of suspension of disbelief with like a few choice words. And if you say like like oh I come from a place where science and magic are the same thing. It's like good because a lot <laughs> of stuff is about to happen that otherwise I would be very incredulous of cuz I do not believe in magic because I saw Iron Man and he built a robot suit. Right. Um but yeah, that's you can In a cave. In a cave. Tony Stark build that in a cave. <laughs> in one of the greatest shouted lines of dialogue <laughs> of the past decade yeah. previous decade
0: um and he's and he's great and i think that sort of started the thing which i think they maybe stumbled with the incredible hulk because right, edward Norton's right. a great act edward Norton's a great actor but he's not necessarily the most sympathetic person and like i, I think iron man i think one thing they did really well i mean even in replacing the hulk uh for the Avengers is like they're casting like really charismatic people who can carry a movie.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. And people who I I applaud for not being movie stars, like not, you know, really needing to be like uh the Tom Cruise in the Avengers of just like, "Oh, like it's really the Captain America movie and these people are all like supporting characters." It's it's um this sort of Ocean's Eleven thing, where you get these huge stars and charismatic personalities, and they're just all on board for this and that's, and that's mission. What I, that's
0: what I like most about the Avengers, and that's—I mean, I love uh, Ocean's Eleven. It's that sort of—it's just the easy interaction. There's not a single character you can cut to who I'm gonna be like, oh, I wish we weren't there.
1: Right. If anything, if you don't spend some time with people. Uh, regularly, you miss them. like you get kind of yeah. like confused about like
0: even even someone who's kind of like I get the whole point is that he's comed- almost comedically stoic, but someone like Hawkeye i would I would be like kind of worried like, oh, let's see what's gonna happen <laughs> like,
1: right right. and even even like beyond like the likability of character uh, and the the balancing out of their their uh, presence, um Avengers does something which no superhero team movie, has ever done as effectively, which is when they when they uh, fight the bad guys at the end, they have like a plan, yeah. and every every uh, one's participation in it is like crucial and makes sense. And with most of these movies, it's just Iron Man or Spider Man, so all they have to do is punch the other guy as hard as they can yeah. until the other guy stops fighting. And even with X Men Two, I kind of don't remember. Exactly what happens at the end, but I know it's just, like, largely Wolverine by himself, and then maybe there's somebody, you know, somebody like, oh, we have to free the prisoners, or we have to hack the computer, or something. I don't
0: remember exactly recall if it was Colossus, but, like, on the attack on the school, like, Wolverine says to Colossus, you, get those guys, but it's it's always just the guy pointing at a guy, saying... Do this off screen. Yeah. Like. And
1: with the Avengers, you can see them you can almost see them moving their action figures around. Where it's like Captain America's yeah. Captain America is gonna lead. He's gonna tell the police officers to establish this perimeter. Hawkeye's gonna get up on the roof and use his previously established looking at things powers <laughs> to um, direct action around so that people can like jump in and out of buildings and evacuate evacuate civilians. And it's such a plausible like Instead of just watching a bunch a bunch of action happen at you, yeah. you're able to participate in the decision making. Which is crazy. That doesn't even happen in like regular movies where right. it's like watching sports where you can kind of get into the action because you know what the goals are and you have a vague idea of how they can be accomplished.
0: Exactly. And it's you know, and um you know, so uh hold on, let me just Okay, so uh we we did talk talk about the Dark Knight, um which uh, I'm 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 actually interested because
1: I have a theory that Dark Knight is never mind. Uh, um, I probably have to explain that <laughs>
0: uh, the Nirvana album. Yes, I I I feel like the problem is it didn't kill what came before, like because before there was Iron Man, or yeah, Iron Man came a little bit before, but I mean before and. It seems to be running parallel, as opposed, to like sure. Well, that well, was. What, what is your theory? About? I'm sorry. Let me. What's well, your theory about? No, I have right. all
1: these. I have all these like mixed metaphors and conflicting yeah. theories. With with Dark Knight not killing what came before, it doesn't matter because, uh, uh, at least, it doesn't matter to me because my theory is still that there's comic book fans and then there's Batman fans. Uh-huh. So they're allowed to exist separately from each other, and there will always be more Batman fans who are like. Batman's cool because he's, like, a real guy and he can do this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And comic book fans are like, oh, I don't care. I just want to see the Hulk. Like, so that's how you get Dark Knight being so brooding and plausible. And it's just, like, you know, heat. And Avengers being, like, space monsters and stuff. But the reason I call Dark My- uh, Dark Knight uh, Nevermind is because there's, um, in the book, uh, Our Band Could Be Your Life, about the, like, uh, hardcore in a punk scene, and I'm not, like, a big music nerd, but I love that book, um, there's a there's a chapter on Dinosaur Jr. where they're, like, fighting with each other because Nirvana, like, just broke, and they're yeah. the biggest thing in the world, and, like, the guys in Dinosaur Jr. at the time sort of felt like their infighting prevented them from getting this kind of, like, mainstream success. Uh-huh. So it's like, if all the superhero stuff in our culture was just, like, bobbing below the surface... And then all of a sudden, there was this explosion of mainstream acceptance where you just put it in the perfect package. And all of a sudden, like, this tone is something that's for everybody. That's how I feel about Dark Knight. Where it's like, anyone can watch this movie and they're a million percent on board. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter, like, what Batman was before. Even though that ends up, you know, informing it, like, both the positive and the mistakes.
0: I mean,. Dark Knight does something that like no other Nolan movie does, which it has it has it has humor in it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I remember. I, I mean, I saw it opening night, and just everyone in the audience went fucking nuts for the the pencil. The oh, it's <laughs> so song.
1: magnificent! Every there's so many, so much of Dark Knight's is just iconic and quotable. Um and it's got the, the same uh, Michael Caine playing the same character as he does in every Christopher Nolan movie, which yeah. I love. I'm assuming that Alfred is in every Christopher Nolan <laughs> yeah. movie. It's it, just it, literally exactly. the butler from Batman.
0: <laughs> in fact, if you look, uh, Alfred is on vacation in Alaska in uh, Insomnia. He's, yeah, uh, he's, he's wandering he's in around the in the fog. Right. Um, but uh, I, my, my problem with Dark Knight is it almost feels like compromised where it is trying to... And it does tackle these ideas of... Of law and, you know, and justice, and it's sort of, a, you know, and it sort of, like, is actually reflecting sort of modern political, where, like, Harvey Dent is almost this, like, Obama character. Right, and, right. And, like, it, and it even dares to make Batman not necessarily the good, you know, the good guy, and... And, and, you know. It feels
1: very, it feels very like British director in that way of just like I have this outsider's perspective where I'm going to tease these people a little bit without really letting them know I'm doing it,
0: right? But at, at the same time, like it does, like it doesn't necessarily get all the way there. Like there's still a fair amount of Hollywood. Bullshit. Like one thing that always takes me off is when there's like there'll be like six characters. And those are the main characters, and then there'll be and then everyone else just has one line, and they're they're like the exact interchangeable cops. Like there's like at one point a cop literally puts one of the the mob the mafia the mafiosos in the in a cat in a cop car, and he goes have a nice trip. See you next. See you next fall. fall. Yeah, Like that's and, so crazy. I like the guys like driving the armor trucks. Like we'll be sitting ducks out here. Like there's like tons of lines like that where it's like where it's just like, oh, that's right, this is a Hollywood, like, kind of bullshit. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know what the deal is with that stuff, because in a movie that's otherwise so tight, it's loaded with all... Is that just, like, unscripted stuff that, like, Second Unit no, picked it, up? No,
0: it has to be, like... I I don't know, like, maybe, I think maybe it's just, like, uh, Christopher Nolan didn't care. Yeah, like, or like, just like, there's an
1: element of kind of, like... I, or, you know, maybe maybe he did, like, a ton of research and, like, cops are just hokey guys. <laughs> like, I I have no... I have no justification for that. What I do know is that there's a part in Jurassic Park that a friend very recently pointed out to me, where um, Wayne Knight's character is out in the rain, yeah. and he slips, and there's this like cartoonish sound effect. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, he's like he's playing with like the truck winch, and he's out in the mud. It's right before the the dinosaur spits in his face and he dies. Um, so he slips, and it goes. Yeah. And since then, I've sort of come to terms with like every great movie has a woo, yeah. it, and it's like see you next fall is <laughs> kind of Dark Knight's Like, ah, oh, that's weird. Um, I thought this was Dark Knights.
0: It has like a few pacing problems and stuff, but I mean, it's 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 a really good movie, and it is like proof that. Though I I do think maybe the Avengers is the best comic book movie, just uh, because it feels so much like. Everything that other comic movies have been working towards. Yeah, it's not at war with itself at all. Like it's so pure, um, and uh, and I I do appreciate movies that feel like uncompromised like that. Whereas something like um, the Watchmen, uh, which I can't believe you have not seen. Is it no, just like at a protest? It's
1: yeah. It's the last. It's like the last one. It's like I'm you know I'm on board for pretty much anything at this point because I know more about the film industry, and I'm, like, trying to mature. Yeah. Both like, both, like, as a fan and also as somebody who wants to write r- this kind of stuff. Right. So I, I have to kind of, like, get on board with the commercial reality of these things. Like, the X-Men movie, I felt about the first X-Men movie the way that, like, G.I. Joe fans probably felt about the G.I. Joe movie, where it's like, oh, it's like... Yeah, like, this is kind of it. Like, their their names are right, and they're all hanging out together. The costumes look kind of weird. But this is, I guess, what I want it to be. Yeah. But um, Watchmen is the last one where it's like, well, no one's making me sit through this. Like, if I feel that the book is unadaptable and, like, untouchable, and the movie is just going to make me angry... That outweighs my curiosity, yeah. I guess. And I also didn't see Green Lantern, not out of any protest, but just because it looked kind of dumb.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, no, that and was and the that's, one. That's where apparently horrible. I didn't see Green Lantern. I either. was no
1: longer like my. But that
0: is, but a Green Lantern is sort of at least indicative of where we are. or shit. I mean, uh, people were very excited that the Avengers got so uh, cosmic, right? Like they'll they'll
1: just like.
0: Roll the dice
1: on Green Lantern at this point, where it's like we'll probably make our money back doing yeah. just like any superhero who has name recognition.
0: And I mean that is like that that Green Lantern is probably the most uh, cosmic, sort of big, like not necessarily silly but fantasy right sort of superhero movie that has been made yet, other than maybe uh, Hellboy two. But even that, yeah. like claims to exist. It's well, more paranormal then.
1: I think they came out in the same summer. Green Lantern is like Thor if there wasn't also the Avengers. Yeah. It's like if you made Thor but people weren't co- like if Thor people took knew place the Avengers was Asgard. Coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took place all on Asgard. Like people knew that the Avengers were coming and I think that made them excited for Thor because like they like, kind of didn't like have Thor? a choice. I do like Thor. Yeah I do like Thor. I think it's it's definitely flawed um, I sort of have, I have a personal hierarchy of the Marvel movies that I could totally rattle yeah, off if, uh, Iron Man's the best one. Well, Avengers is kind of the best one. Uh-huh. Um, but Iron Man is, you know, very close. Uh, after that, I like Captain America. It's sort of like if they made Indiana Jones today, right. it's got that kind of like, gee gosh, earnestness and
0: the script is really by smooth. Joe Johnson, the director of Rocketeer.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I think is great. It's kind of like he had this sort of practice run of yeah. like, oh, some of this stuff didn't work. Um, and then, uh, Thor and the, the Hulk, uh, requel are sort of like tied in my mind where it's just like, oh, this is cleanup. Like, this is like, we need to get people on board with these characters again so we can put them in the Avengers. And then I really do not care for Iron Man 2,
0: which... Oh, Iron Man 2 is horrible. I'm
1: on another, I'm on another podcast uh, that records, uh, commentary tracks for films. Oh, and nice. I specifically requested that they let me do Iron Man 2.
0: Is it a, Is are they? A, is it comedic commentaries or is it just like critical? It's you know it's both. quippy.
1: Um, it's it's a
0: combination. So uh, is it like so, so Is it similar to riff tracks or? No
1: no no. It's more analysis. Okay. It's uh, one of the guys is. They're both they're both big movie buffs and one of the guys is more technical and one of the guys is more story driven. Right. They kind of play off each other. Um, uh, but not that day because that was just me talking about Iron Man Two <laughs> and <laughs> how it is just a talky hangout mess. What's the
0: name of that podcast? Uh commentary track stars.
1: If okay. anybody wants to check it out, I'm on the Iron Man Two episode.
0: Awesome. Um, so I uh, yeah, I hate Iron Man Two. My I'd probably say other than the Avengers, my favorite would be uh, Captain America. Um, even though like it like it really unfortunate. Like it is kind of long already, so I get why they did it. But like that sort of montage of like. Like, his first sort of superheroing is done, like, in montage. Right,
1: right. And even at the time, I remember thinking that that was kind of weird. But I kind of got, like, oh, it's either that or, like, you have to establish he's a hero of World War II. And there's so many, like, there's so much, like, riding on planes and, like, individual, like, mini-missions. Like, I like to think of that as, like, the 1960s TV show Combat where it's like, oh, that's just like a best of combat episodes that happen to have <laughs> Captain America in them. Because like, oh, like this week I'm going to be, you know, like uh, helping the Resistance take back this French village. And like this week I'm going to be like in uh, Italy. Like, you know, right. it's just all these little because he needs to be so much before he can go on his big mission where he gets frozen. Yeah, but the I love
0: I love Hugo Weaving. He's probably my favorite. Uh, that's that'd be probably the one sort of thing that's lacking in a lot of the Marvel Uh, superhero uh, movies is uh, is the villains are... Like, especially in Iron Man and Iron Man 2, the villains are... I don't find them very memorable at all.
1: Yeah, Iron Man 2, I would definitely agree with you. Iron Man, I feel like, in the same way that that movie is largely just Tony Stark... You kind of have to let Jeff Bridges be Jeff Bridges and forget that he puts on a bet, like a metal suit at the end because it is very forgettable. Just that he just fights like a larger Iron Man. Yeah, and I
0: mean, I don't. Here, here's my problem with four is like, and I, this, these are problems that are probably unique to someone who has no idea about the comics. But like, I had no idea, like. From the idea of Thor, like I didn't know if Asgard was a planet or <laughs> if it was a kingdom or if it was literally just the name of their palace. Oh Like because all you see of all you see of Asgard is the castle. Yeah. So they're like Asgard will be destroyed, and I'm like, is, is are there are there civilians yeah. there or is there? And it's like the ice giants. It's like is that their proper name or is that? <laughs> and and then like. You're like, okay, so Odin's gone into Odin's sleep, which is the fucking... Is that from the comics? It is
1: from the comics. Odin Odin goes to sleep for one week a year, during which shit goes down every time. Every time. It is, it is just, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead every time Odin goes to sleep. And he know like he's gotta know. Cause every single time Odin goes to sleep, like Loki tries to take over the kingdom or whatever. And it's just to can you imagine being Odin and just being tired? And you're like, Alright guys Can
0: can't he just catch like you yeah. hours of sleep a night? Like, like.
1: like I'm gonna recharge. Um look, I know that you're not gonna listen to this, <laughs> but it would be awesome if I could wake up in one week and just this one time not be in the shambles of my former kingdom.
0: So, okay, so at so the whole time the ticking clock is Loki is up to something. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know what it is.
1: And that's a very that's that's kind of the problem built into Loki is that he's the sort of like
0: he just likes to fuck shit up for no reason? Right? Well, he's,
1: you know, he's like the Moriarty-esque figure where you want to see it all unraveled at the end, kind mm-hmm. of. Because the whole point is that he's like... He, he keeps getting you on his side. <laughs> uh, which is a great thing about Loki is that everybody always gives him the benefit of the doubt for way too long. <laughs> um, so that, that problem is kind of built in. And again, like really, Loki in Thor is just Loki... In Avengers, like he's yeah. just he's just like getting ready to be in the Avengers. It,
0: I, th- I think it works there because he isn't necessarily seen as the threat in that. Like he's just this asshole who made the threat. <laughs> the yeah, way. yeah. Um, and but I actually do love.
1: I, I was going to say Hugo Weaving is easily the best heavy in any of them. But yeah. I do I do love Jeff Bridges just as a when he's being Jeff Bridges in Iron Man, and I love because um, I really I really get. I really get that character of just like feeling that you're the rightful heir to something and then seeing someone effortlessly blow you out of the water, I think is a really compelling idea for a villain. And it's so much more of a earned personal relationship than just like, Oh, like they accidentally created each other in the same lab accident. Yeah, It's like, Oh, like this, like I'm an adult, you're a kid and you are running circles around me and I never had a chance
0: I, I I mean it's been a while since I think I actually only saw I I don't think I've seen it since the theatrical run but I I don't I don't recall that being a big thing in the movie though
1: it's I mean maybe it's just me as a fan kind of like having fun unpacking it yeah um, maybe yeah. they maybe that's not actually on the screen but I, I felt I felt great about I felt great about his motivation and I also love I think. Um, Tom Hiddleston? Is that the guy who plays Loki? I believe so. If I've got his name right. I love his performance, and that kind of, even though his, like, actions are kind of, like, vague and nebulous, his sort of, like, very, you know, Kenneth branagh e like, let's just do Shakespeare meets Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Like, he really, I feel like he brings that, like, seething in a way that's very believable and like fun for me at least.
0: I, I I don't know, I'm not a I I liked him again, I liked him better in Avengers it's probably just the way he was utilized, but I remember just not I just remember being bored every time I cut back to Loki. Yeah.
1: I mean he definitely benefits from the Waden esque one liners. Like yeah, that's a absolutely. thing where he's much more I think even more Loki Wa- wavering Quim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy moly. <laughs> what a gross man. <laughs> I, I love that you got that in there though. Yeah, uh, it's yeah that there is no... Avengers is airtight, and we should probably talk about it sooner yeah, right, yeah, rather yeah. than later. But um,
0: yeah, I would love to talk about the Avengers. Co.
1: I feel like I've wasted everybody's do think, time. Do you think
0: it's possible... No, 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 not all all. This has been great. Uh, do you think it's possible for someone who hasn't seen any of the other Marvel movies to step into the Avengers and have any kind of satisfying...
1: People keep saying no, and I don't get that, because I feel like I'm going to take my mom to it and she's going to love it, because at the end of the day, you know who Captain America is in as far as, like, he's Superman, but with a shield. Like, even if you know nothing, it's like... You can't have existed in this culture for this long without knowing Captain America is, like, a Superman-esque figure, Uh, Iron Man is a guy in a robot suit, and Hulk is someone who changes from a man into a monster. And that's actually a lot... Like, that's a lot of capital to start with. Like, you're sort of... Uh, in the black, you know, with um, going into something, you know, knowing nothing now isn't the same as knowing nothing when Superman came out. Um, So I think that the movie moves so quickly and uses enough familiar tropes where it's like, Oh, like uh, I'm on a military base, but now like a spaceman is here and yeah. he's stealing something that is obviously important because it's glowing. But and- it
0: was like, but it, there's like, I mean, especially with between the idea between Thor and Loki, like they they like they throw away like a reference to guy from Asgard, and if you don't know what the fuck Asgard is, you're like, okay, and then sure. you don't know if it's important, and then suddenly a like Thor shows up and in the plane and steal, and you and they have this long conversation about their long like. I don't know. I mean, I. I mean, I did see it, and I think most people saw the movies that you are required, um, or at least will probably go back and watch them. But
1: I think this one does a better job at hitting the ground running than like anything Harry Potter, well, anything what, was, Lord of well, the that Rings. Was, that was actually like that's Star ulti- Wars prequels. That's ultimately
0: my point is that I think uh, I, I think that the reason it works so well is because. Um, all this exposition has already happened um, previous to the movie even starting, and um, and it was something like when they first announced. Uh, do you when do when do you recall like first hearing that? Um, was it just when you saw Nick Fury, or like when when Marvel was planning to do all of these sort of interconnected movies?
1: Right. Um, I definitely had. Uh... Uh, enough, like, kind of anecdotal, like, internet information that, like, something like this. The plan was to make this possible. Um, what I didn't know was that they drop the they drop the A word at the end of Iron Man. As soon as he said Avengers, I was like, I literally, I was in the theater and I leapt to my feet. <laughs> I was so excited, and because that's a contract, right. like, you can't say the word Avenger huh. and not do an Avengers movie eventually. So this is like the sort of like like oh do you think we'll ever see a black president and it like sounds like it's going to be in the future and then you have a black president and you're like oh of course like <laughs> he's <laughs> like why wouldn't we he's just a, he's just a man who's good for this job um so when they said avengers it was like like yeah i guess there can be an avengers movie but i never thought it would happen yeah. until they made that tacit agreement with the audience by literally dropping the word Avenger into Iron Man. Uh, it's like, well, that's the plan. Let's well, the, see if they can
0: do it. Because one of the problems, I mean, this is probably the reason why Captain America is my favorite. Because um, like, Iron Man 1 works as a standalone film. And Captain America, I think, mostly works as a standalone film. The other ones feel like they are part of standalone film introducing character and part Avenger prequel. And obviously the worst example of this would be Iron Man 2 where they just feel like different movies happening.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I I think it's it's interesting that I didn't think of that explicitly as we were talking about the ones we liked, it's the ones that work best as self-contained movies that kind of topped our lists. And um, yeah, Hulk was definitely like a cleanup job, like uh, sort of an, uh, an apology film of like, here's maybe what you think Hulk should be. He smashes. Uh, yeah. He's smashing he, he, he things. Hulk
0: smash? Hulk smash. Hulk smash.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Thor was like, here's a movie that would never get made if there wasn't also going to be an Avengers movie with Thor in it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's true. The Incredible Hulk does stand alone, but it is, it's so weightless. And yeah. it's so, and it's just not. I mean, I like I like it that it works on its own terms, but it, those terms are not very ambitious. So. Yeah, and
1: I th- it's also really interesting. You should point out that um, Edward Norton is not an inherently likable guy because when they recast Bruce Banner, they chose like the cuddliest actor yeah, currently available, and, and I didn't think about the consciousness of that decision. But well, I, that's really I mean, wise. I didn't think
0: about it until I read that uh, film Crit Hulk article. But it is like it is true. Like the whole point uh, of Bruce Banner, like like. Edward Norton just played him, and I'm again now I'm just like ripping off the article, but it's it's true. So now it's in my brain. That's right. Um, it's, it's like you're
1: recapping it to me because yeah, yeah. I haven't read the article. Because
0: Edward Norton played it like just kind of mopey, and so did Eric Bana. And whereas apparently, like, and I've never seen the TV series, but like it's it it's supposed to be like he is a good person, right? It's not it's not that he's he like in in the Incredible Hulk like. Uh,
1: He's not Hamlet. He's Doctor Jekyll, right? And and Edward Norton, like
0: Edward Norton, is like I can't see anyone. I can't like I'm like he's just like this like hopelessly tragic and everything. Whereas like in the TV series, he just wants to help people and
1: yeah, yeah. And that was also like a product of that sort of 70s and 80s like journeyman genre. Yeah, you know the A Team and Quantum Leap and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Everybody was everybody was going from town to town at that point (laughs) in American culture.
0: Um, No, but uh, so Mark Ruffalo is so fucking good in this. Yeah, uh, he's great. He's he's so likable, and you could sort of like he he's having like fun. Uh, There was like a lot of there was actually a lot of team ups in Avengers that I was not expecting, like that I just never even considered. I'm like, oh, that's right. Tony Stark is a son. Like I just mm-hmm. thought I never considered Tony Stark t- like relationship really with anyone because I thought, oh, what they're gonna do? He's the egomaniac, so his relationship really with everyone is oh yeah, that's nice, but, right? Like his sort of, he was having so, like him and Ruffalo are having so much fun. They get like, wonky,
1: yeah, and that really comes from putting it in the hands of the fans because everybody else is like, "What do I need to know to make this be a movie?" Yeah, and if you grow up with this stuff, it's like, "Oh, I can't wait to put this element of it." It's, in the movie, and especially with just like when constructing a team up a movie, needing it to be more than fights, yeah, uh, having to establish all of the trusts uh, individually. You know, Captain America and Iron Man have to have their, uh, you know, helicarrier saving moments where they establish themselves as sort of the leader together. Mm-hmm. You know, which is how it is in the comics as well. Is that they're all they're kind of both co president of yeah. the Avengers. Um, or, you know, just making sure that, like, all right, uh, at some point, some combination of Iron Man, Hulk, and Thor have to fight each other. Okay,
0: I ask a good question, because I don't think this has really satisfactorily been, or maybe I just don't recall, been explained in the movies, but... What what is SHIELD exactly?
1: Oh, SHIELD is just, you know, uh in the sixties how is it just spies like... were in vogue and everything was like an acronym so it, based.
0: It, oh, I see. So it's it's just a it's so is it a it's an organization of the American government? It's like
1: a UN kind of thing. Oh, okay. It's like operating uh Largely
0: for the United States, but those uh, and those and those sort of heads of state or whatever he was communicating with are those are those like established characters or are those just? I think that's a convention for the movie. I okay. think that's
1: a conceit of like Nick Fury, obviously has to answer to some kind of like uh, council so that he can be seen as both an authority figure and a rebel. And also just to sort of excuse the plausibility of this, like, global military network. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that's just a conceit for the movie. I could be wrong about that. Maybe there's, like, some issue of, like, Jim Steranko, Nick Fury in the 70s where it's, like, The Order or something. Yeah. If we look into it, it might be, like, picked from some reference. Um,
0: now, one of the big, one of probably what I like most about The Avengers and also what a lot of people seem to not like is that Joss Whedon wrote it. Absolutely. He <laughs> certainly did. And it's a Joss Whedon fucking movie and he he like it's really good with dialogue and it's you know, there's a lot of really, really funny lines in this. It's yeah. a, it's I was laughing so hard like throughout the whole thing. Uh I mean I I haven't seen a lot of comedies this year, but it is like the funniest movie I've seen this year. Like here's the thing that people
1: don't I think give due credit for if they complain about Joss Whedon dialogue is like first of all. It's evolving. Like mm-hmm. Joss Whedon writing Buffy isn't the same as Joss Whedon writing, you know, Doctor Horrible or whatever. Um, this is Joss Whedon dialogue as it is suited to the Avengers. So in this film, when something is quippy, it's moving the it's moving the plot forward, right. or it's moving character forward, um, or it's just providing like a very satisfying closure to a scene it's it's i think just wait and dialogue like if you find it cloying it's just because you're you know if you don't like it that's legitimate but i think a lot of people like to focus on something that they notice and it's like oh i noticed this yeah, so actually, i can talk about it and film, i'll just say film, that it's yeah, bad. actually what's,
0: what's funny is film kurt hulk has this whole article about People will—he calls it tangible details—because exactly people it. don't have an in, people don't have an instant sort of understanding of story structure or whatever. But they can say, "Oh, uh, Peter Parker's dancing and everything in Spider-Man three—that was the worst part." Like, which like that's not the problem with the movie, but right. that is the thing that you will grab onto.
1: Right, and yeah, I mean, maybe this is all super obvious to like actual film critics, but yeah. just as a as a layperson, that's been my experience with like nerd things—is that like. The thing, the thing that you're complaining about might have helped you be immersed in the film enough to complain about
0: it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, I mean, it's, like, comedy, like, jokes are good. Like, Indiana Jones was funny. Right. Like, you know, like... That is how you go, like, that's that's how you make a movie entertaining while people aren't, you know, punching. It's... Right, and
1: Dark Knight will still be there, is the other thing. Like, yeah. if this thing is too, if this is too popular and that, for that, you.
0: And that is actually the other uh, sort of complaint, uh, is that is that it's uh, it sort of doesn't have some kind of central thematic idea. Like, I would say the only real central thematic idea, and probably what I like about it is... It's like, it's literally just like about teamwork. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's just about, it's just about being friends. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I would say that Avengers is still largely an origin story. It's just the origin of their relationship. Okay. Um, And, uh, you know, obviously in the more kind of like uh, tangible way, the origin of like their organization and, you know, presumably sequels. But um, yeah, it's, it's not important to me and i feel like weird saying this like i'm admitting something or that it's like a dirty word but it's not important to me that like in the way that dark knight was like about chaos and the patriot act and you know what you sacrifice in trying to control it like i don't know that avengers has room for one of those in the same movie where it's largely just about extraordinary human beings becoming friends and also finding that there's
0: a danger that's bigger than all of them. And yeah, and I don't think that's necessary. I don't I don't think necessarily, you know, there's not you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark doesn't have right. like I mean I mean I'm sure you can if you go really big and abstract, you can say something about belief or something, right, but that's or... not what the movie is really focused on. That's not like you can you could look at the whole story and say, "Well, Indiana Jones learns" the sanctity of whatever. But like But then he wouldn't be Indiana
1: Jones at the end. He'd If that was the case, if Raiders had a thematic arc about not messing with the power of the gods or something. Indiana Jones would then his lesson would be, Well I'm retired. Yeah. I will will do archaeology
0: reasonably now. I'm going to go to dig sites and I'm going to look at pottery.
1: The very next movie all he does is mess with arcane forces again.
0: Um, well, technically, the next movie was a
1: prequel. Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah.
0: podcast universe. <laughs> um, that's what's funny to me is people people get mad about Temple of Doom because there's a callback to uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark where the guy uh, sort of towards the end of the movie a guy has the sword and Indiana Jones sort of s- like smugly smiles and reaches for his gun and right. realizes he doesn't have it. Right. And people are like, "How could it be a callback?" If, <laughs> like, like, they think that, like, if it kind of takes place before, like, they literally think Indiana Jones is thinking back to the one-time, right, tar- like, right. it's a callback for the audience, it's not...
1: Right, right, right. Or also, like, if someone was attacking you, you might use the gun that you brought. Right. Like, just generally <laughs> speaking. If anything, it's foreshadowing to the fact that now he'll always yeah, bring his gun. Absolutely. And, it's, so it's he can shoot someone in the future. No,
0: but, like, you know, and like, Star Wars, again, it's not mostly about anything, like, Uh, You know, you could, again, you can go, oh, you know, there are arcs and stuff, but, like, it's... There aren't single thematic concerns. Right. It's not terribly important for it to have them.
1: Right. If anything, it's just, like, a Viking funeral for the hero's journey. Like, let's just do everything in, like, the purest possible way. Right.
0: and... And, you know, and so what's important is, you know... It, it. I think people also they have this weird thing where they got obsessed with the Rotten Tomatoes rating, and if yeah. something goes, and if something is like over ninety, they think oh it's not ninety percent good. It's like no, that means over ninety percent people think it is better than it is bad. Like
1: yeah, it's it's, it's a it's weird. a pass fail
0: system on Rotten Tomatoes. So like, but people are like, come on, ninety six percent or whatever, it's not that good. And I'm like, but it is like. It does have a broad enough appeal, and it is well-made enough that that 96% of people will say, yes, I enjoyed this movie. What
1: I always do, uh, and I did it with Dark Knight, and I'm doing it with Avengers, is I take my own experience, and I measure it against the box office, and I try to figure out, like, where are we at? <laughs> like, like, just as a country, like, 2008 was the biggest superhero movie of the summer, was about maybe the bush administration yeah. like watching its citizens and like the cost of safety and i think that's amazing yeah. and now uh coming out of like a long recession somebody has consciously made a superhero movie with the idea that we can all team up to defeat this bigger thing. And maybe that's not a thesis that's in the film. Yeah. But you could make the argument that it's an idea that's resonating with people and resulting in them voting with their pocketbooks. Right. Toward and, like embracing uh, wait,
0: that... to the point, or I am very curious. Grant Morrison to see... calls
1: it the stories we choose to tell ourselves. Like to get oh. it back to like comic book nerddom, Grant Morrison uh says that Uh, we choose to tell ourselves stories at, like, different points in our culture. Mm -hmm. And that if you just step back and look at them, maybe you're not consciously writing them, but if you're consciously reading them, you can be like, oh, like, things are... things feel like this right
0: now. Mm -hmm. Um, I... and I... and it's... I I do wonder how Dark Knight Rises is going to, now that this... like, because the whole thing about the Dark Knight is, oh, finally, superheroes are, you know, like, are serious! And that's a... you know, and, and now four years, like... Do you, you think maybe like the public perception has shifted to the point where Dark Knight will just people will just be mocking how dour it is, or, or do you think there's room for both?
1: No, I think Dark Knight is like such a charismatic film that it will always be a classic. Well,
0: I, I'm, yeah, but like for the third movie that's going to be coming out this. Uh... Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it's built right into the title. I mean, implicitly, it's going to be some kind of like overcoming. Yeah, uh, I think I think it's going to be about uh, him sort of breaking you know like becoming like uh becoming mainstream (laughs) even within the universe of the film uh, if i if i had to guess um just like finally winning winning folks over um but i think that i think that it is just you kind of pegged it at the very beginning where you said the key is earnestness and it's not people don't want a serious superhero movie as much as they want an earnest superhero movie like whether it's the tone of superman the tone of iron man or the tone of dark knight yeah those are successes because they feel the same way about those characters as you do and they want to give you a relationship with them that is satisfying like uh iron man is not supposed to be serious he is supposed to be like a rock on tour, you right. know. So I think right. I think that's really more than the seriousness is just the sort of like respect to the audience that like we all want the same things mm-hmm. out of here and only very recently have like culture and technology caught up to make them available.
0: I mean and I'm sure the Avengers is very expensive, but I I, I was very excited that it was so big and that the final action scene was so like even though it did like take place in, like, about, you know, two city blocks. It Like, it felt big, and there was, like... It didn't feel weightless like so many, uh, right. like, CGI-heavy uh, action sequences do.
1: Right. It had scope. Yeah. Um, which, and, like, But it
0: also had, like, a clear sense of geography and mm-hmm. stuff, where everyone was, and, you know, for, for a scope that wide, that's very impressive. Yeah,
1: and, you could really... And that was, again, like, I have to imagine that they, like, had... Diagrams of like yeah. what, where, who was where at what time, and like really making a conscious effort, because I hate that sort of like gladiator syndrome of being so immersed in the action that you can't actually track it. Yeah. And I, the most fun thing about superheroes for me has always been the swashbuckling buckling element, uh-huh. so I love it when guys are like jumping around on rooftops.
0: So, uh, okay. so I, I, I do want to ask this question because yeah, some, of course. There's something I've been always been curious about as far as people who are into superhero comics and stuff. Do you find action scenes in a comic book? Uh, exciting because I—that's one of the other like sort of uh, sort of prices of entry that I've never been able to get is like it like I've never been able to quite discern what so like I mean other than you know I understand like a lot of comic book people are very like oh I like the artwork uh, I appreciate this artist and stuff like that which is again just another level I don't appreciate but like on a visceral level do you and in- because I feel I feel like comics are the opposite of like where comics are just so. Static that. Right,
1: right. Um, You have to you have to train yourself to see it with the right eyes. Like if there's an artist that you love and they're nailing it, and they can capture motion um, or like points of impact, uh, it like resonates with me physically. And the only thing I can sort of compare it to is um, classical music, where if you don't like, I don't know anything about classical music or like really care but when i see my i'm going to say smarter friends when yeah. i see my smarter friends listening to classical music they know exactly like what's happening and what it represents and like where the how they're supposed to feel mm-hmm. during during different moments of it it's not like a movie where you're immersed in it and they kind of walk you through those feelings it's more mutual on both sides Where it's a combination of the way the artwork presents the idea and the idea itself.
0: Okay. So you have to sort of know how to read it.
1: Yeah, I feel that that's the case. Like, there's a scene in... um, I'll just pick something that maybe, like, more people have seen. uh, The Civil War uh, Marvel comic. If Mm -hmm. anybody's read any Marvel comic lately, it might be that one. Um, There's a part where Captain America jams his shield into the glass uh, dome of a fighter jet. And then, like, rides it home. Like, he he, uh, stows away on the outside of a jet by jamming his shield in and kind of, like, hooking it. And all of the, the... Geography isn't quite the right word, but all of the blocking of that is very visceral. Like, I feel like I know what that would feel like to some extent. Okay. And then the way it's drawn, I can kind of immerse myself in it, and then the broader meta idea of, like, holy shit, Captain America just hijacked Jets by sort of physically locking himself into it. So that's just to kind of like walk people through like one page of a comic book and it's like relationship with the human brain. Right. That's, I mean, that's all anecdotal, but that's how I feel.
0: Yeah. Okay. And now uh, one sort of last uh, question is, uh, okay, so this movie is largely, you know, it's mostly earthbound. We have a cosmic villain, but he's mostly trapped in a, a jail and he's on earth. Um, and we have a, a cosmic threat, but we only see them coming through the portal, we don't see what's on the other side. At the end of the film, uh, at, at you know, in the middle of the credits, there is a scene of and I don't even know the name of this villain, but someone's reporting to him and
1: should we say spoiler alert or is yeah, that yeah, so yeah. I'll, I'll far? Put a spoiler alert and... on the
0: on the review, but I mean this is this is literally like that's like saying like it's like saying, "Don't tell me that the Joker is going to be in the Dark Knight." Sure. Like that's The sure. marketing is going to be based off of it. No Absolutely. One is, um, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I'll put a spoiler alert. But so, what's the name of that? That is Thanos. Thanos. Okay. And
1: here's the thing about Thanos, and this is why this is maybe the singular reason why Avengers is more interesting than any other superhero movie. Thanos is not famous. Yeah. Thanos is not the Joker. Thanos isn't even the Riddler.
0: Cuz they did they do play it like the end of Batman begins. Oh and yeah. Like, and and there were like a couple people in my theater who were losing their shit. Exactly.
1: But-, but here's the thing. They know that the audience is so purely on their side at that point that they now get to set the agenda. Like they know that someone in the audience will be able to tell their five friends why that is a huge deal. Yeah. And uh it's no longer like it's no longer about the buy-in. Like Joker is about the buy-in because you're using him to uh to get the audience into the next into the next um, Batman movie. With Thanos, they're using their existing credits for the movie you just watched to get people into the idea of Thanos. Like they're just They feel at that point that they've gotten you so firmly onto their side that you can see someone who's implicitly bigger and scarier than anything else they've faced. And now you have homework to do. Yeah. And when you come back, you're going to be a better, more dedicated, and more versed Avengers fan.
0: So they they know that you are going to actively dig yourself into fandom just by that tease.
1: Well, they've handed you a huge question mark, and you maybe don't even know that you're doing it. But that is, like, a hell of a trick to pull on, like, the average moviegoer, is to, like, create, like, orchestrate a situation where they're going to look up Thanos on Wikipedia. (laughs) That's mind-boggling. That is so ballsy. And the only reason it worked is because Avengers is such a... Humanized, accessible, like immersive film.
0: Um, so, so uh, there was a there was actually another. There's a great article on Badass Digest where uh, Devin sort of explained the various storylines of Thanos, and it sounded crazy. He's in love with death.
1: He's in love with the personification yeah. of death. Yeah, like <laughs> the Grim Reaper in the Marvel universe is like a sexy dame. Yeah, so he wants to he wants to impress her. By, by giving her lots of souls to reap, I guess. Um, I'm sure that the best thing that will ever happen to Thanos is having his motivations streamlined for a movie. Like, for a screenplay <laughs> that has to boil it down into, like, a really singular... Well, well, I'm
0: excited about it because, like, again, every every single movie so far of these marvel movies has been like just about the hero and about building the character and even you know, like you said avengers is you know as you well put like it's it's an origin story about how about how they became the avengers and right. how they came together like it, if if there's if thanos is the main villain of a movie and it is the kind of like unless and it is structured like say Captain America, where a significant amount of time is actually spent from Thanos' perspective, like that changes the scope and the idea of an Avengers movie. Like, it
1: truly does. I have no idea how, um, and uh, my friend, my aforementioned friend Sam Weiner, and I were talking about this. I have no idea how they can really escalate the tension or the scope because what they're really going from is an army of space monsters to one big space monster who's only really incrementally scarier if you already know who he is. Yeah. So in well, terms of presenting that, I mean I have every I every imagine, faith in the crew at this point. I mean point. I
0: imagine I mean Iron Man 3 is is happening and actually uh they got um Shane Black uh
1: I think that's a really cool really cool direction.
0: Yeah, so that's that's exciting. Um I um, and, you know, do you think they're going to do the same thing that they've been doing before, where every single uh, Marvel movie sort of had a different piece that sort of interlocked and it created the main threat? Of, like like Captain America had the uh, – the I guess they, they it's called the Cosmic Cube. The Cosmic the Cube Tesseract in the comics, and, yeah. Um, and, and
1: you'll find that there's a lot of decisions and, like that that end up being very wise. Calling something the Tesseract instead yeah. of the Cosmic Cube is a great – a great way to get regular moviegoers on board.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, and the, the the main villain Loki is from Thor. And yeah, so you think they're yeah. gonna have to? You're, uh, after Iron Man
1: two, I think that they're probably, and especially bringing on a new director, I think that they're probably just gonna let him do his thing, because ultimately, like a high tide will rise all boats. You know, like uh-huh. a successful Iron Man movie will keep Iron Man sort of. Because that is my air. that
0: is my fear that we're going to get all these sort of half movies or like compromised movies, and it's only like every four years or so that we'll get the Avengers movie right. that, pay, that really pays them off.
1: Right, and you know that's it's the it's the golden the golden goose. Like you have to be really careful about. Uh, you know, sort of taking too much advantage of that in anticipation for Avengers two or whatever. But I I think that we're good. Like at this point, the Marvel universe is just this machine that chugs along, and they don't they don't reboot it that much um, that much. God, <laughs> what a revealing sentence. Um, but like compared to the DC universe, which makes a more conscious uh, effort to sort of relaunch things every few years. Um, Marvel sort of does it slightly more organically by kind of, like, shoehorning it into the existing momentum of things. So I I have a feeling that, like, Iron Man 2... And again, I have no idea, but no. that Iron Man 2 will be... Or Iron Man 3, rather, will be more of its own movie, if only because Avengers just, just happens. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, you know, if there is something to be, to be done toward an Avengers sequel, it'll probably be, like... After the credits. Yeah. You know. At this point, I feel like I could start a podcast just about Marvel movies and call <laughs> it After the Credits.
0: <laughs> okay, one, okay. One, one final question. Uh, do, you, do you think that Warner Brothers is going to be scrambling to do a uh, Justice League movie now? They, or is that just out of possibility? They were
1: gonna. George Miller was signed on for a while. And it was um, a cast with a Superman and a Batman who weren't Brandon Ruth and Christian Bale. And I truly don't know what their deal is. Because they're always chickens with their heads cut off. Um, you would have thought that having everything under one banner for like the entirety of their cinematic history, they could have done this ages ago.
0: The, 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 problem, the problem though is that is that you know, like Christopher Nolan like is not you know, he's now the big director at their inception and Dark Knight. Like he is not going, I mean, these Marvel movies are in some way like created by committee. They're kind of like the studios has a lot of power over, you know, even the aesthetic, like, I think the craziest sort of aesthetic choice that any of the movies makes is Thor is, like, all Dutch angles, Yeah, but, like, yeah. But, like they, they all have, like, look a certain way, and they, they sort of feel the same, even though, you know, uh, Captain America is more, you know, like, again, like the Art Deco sort of 40s thing, and, like, they do feel, you know, because they need to interlock like that, and whereas Chris Nolan is doing his own thing with Batman, and if and if you need to do the only thing with Batman and you need to bring Superman into it you're going to like you're going to not only break Batman that you're doing you're going to you know you're going to probably break Superman trying to bring it there
1: yeah yeah i i i agree um i think that they can pull it off if only because that's essentially what Harry Potter is like Harry Potter is this like dense universe where they still allow the directors to have some kind of singular vision and mm-hmm. uh i guess the franchise kind of became more popular when they did kind of go to a house style. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it'll happen because there's money there. So, like, it can't not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it'll be a while. Yeah.
0: Um, all right. Well, thank you very much. Is there anything uh, you, anything else you'd like to uh, plug? Yeah. Uh,
1: let's see. Uh, you can follow me at Kibblesmith on Twitter. Uh, my website is kibblesmith.com, but I do way less stuff there. Mm-hmm. Uh, please w- watch for my book that's coming out in a million years. Yeah. And uh, stay stay long after the credits of this podcast uh, for a special, a special bonus bonus scene. Yeah, I, I don't want to say anything else for fear of ruining it. Uh, and also, uh, it probably doesn't actually exist.
0: No, it, it, not yet. Not yet. We're gonna get we're gonna get someone second unit to. Yeah, we're gonna
1: shoot it after the premiere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. Well, didn't Joss Whedon uh, shoot a the. Like after credits scene after yeah. the premiere,
1: God bless him. Um, it's and it was the it was the right decision too because we go out on a nice humanizing shot of our heroes uh, instead of uh, an ominous raisin monster that nobody knows <laughs> the name of. <laughs> I think it was a good call. What's
0: funny is I thought because they do that thing where they they they've stopped putting the sort of after credits thing at the very end. They've started putting it like. After like the first like two minutes, because people know, right? So I thought the Thanos thing was it, and I left. right. I didn't see them all enjoying. food. No, I rolled the, the dice table. on that one. Yeah,
1: I can I can spend four more minutes listening to Soundgarden in exchange for. <laughs> um. But yeah, go see the Avengers. I'll just pretend oh, I yeah. made it. Everybody, yeah. <laughs> please. Everybody, please support the Avengers. It's great.
0: It really is a great movie, and I understand if it's not your thing, but I don't really understand hating it, like because it's not it's like it just it does what it does so well.
1: Right. And it's only because people have gotten on board that you can have something like Dark Knight. Right. So uh yeah, I'm looking forward basically to geek chic backlash waiting at least one more year. Yeah. And then you can go back to stuffing me in a locker.
0: Yeah. And then after that it's going to be all uh dinosaur movies. All dinosaur super- movies. Super- superheroes out, dinosaurs in. Yep. Yeah. That's a that's a ticking clock. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. The world without heroes
1: is like a world without sun. You can't look up to
0: anyone without heroes. a world without heroes is like a never-ending
1: race. It's like a time without a place. Thank yeah.